VHS Cult. But the, the thing I was going to talk about was the 99 MTV and VMA Awards. And uh, that Kid Rock performance was actually pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> he stole everything from uh, black people in Detroit. and then, Well, I mean, Run DMC was, was performing with him. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then he tried to, now he's pivoted to being some shit kicker or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I know. He's always he's fucking ritual of white boy. Yeah, he sucks. He's a clown. But good for him. He had a good performance one time. <laughs> 1999, what a rough year to be alive. Yeah, I remember it vividly. That was a big year for Corn, the band. <laughs> not the, yeah, they were they were there. Well, the it's always been a big year for Corn. The, uh, the, the 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 starch, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the grain. Um, you know, but they were they were there. They won a couple of awards. Yeah. So they had the freak on a leash video. I remember that. Uh, something takes a part of me. You and I will make it. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Davis, what a weird guy. I guess oh, Limp Biscuit was there too. So. End of the day, though. Uh, well, I mean, Corn is way cooler than Limp Biscuit. We'll get that out of the way. And then, yeah. um, <laughs> what a, what a competition! Corn no. yeah. <laughs> I mean, is definitely way more interesting than Limp Biscuit. Yeah, but come on, <laughs> those bands all got lumped in together. To be honest, see, I'm not a big fan of Corn. I don't go to my way to listen to them or anything, but. They had a lot more going on than Limp Bizkit. <laughs> but yeah, the 90s, um, the late 90s were terrible. Was, I mean, the early 90s were starting off with big things like Batman and uh, um, R&B being the like, most popular genre of music. <laughs> Prince did a Batman soundtrack. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I guess get it out of the way. We got a lot of stuff we got to get through to so we can. Oh, wait, first, like, I, I, I'm Sean because we never do this show. I'm oh, Sean, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, you follow me at a Sean McDonald at Twitter, and uh, our website's vhscult.com or there's some shit in and then, yeah, yeah, whatever. Fuck it, I'm already bored of shit. Cult spelled wrong, it's spelled like how they do in black metal. We are not, yeah, we are not, um, racist, so. Hopefully you've, <laughs> you've gathered that. Well, yeah. We, all right. So we've got a lot of stuff to get through. This is going to be incredibly negative uh, critic, uh, critical episode about a lot of things. Um, this Batman movie was not as bad as I was expecting, though. 
don't know. This it, is, Tim Burton's Batman movie is actually pretty good. This is the best Batman movie there is. Um, I expect, except for I watch Batman Returns. Batman Returns might be the best Batman movie. <laughs> that was their number one son. They treated me like number two. I, I will stay, say that Batman Begins and, and The Dark Knight are still pretty good Batman movies. Like I, I don't. It's really hard for me to decide which one's better. Like there's elements of these movies I don't like. I think for me the um, Nolan trilogy uh, aged very poorly, and then obviously these one the Tim Burton Batman's show their age they're very much in the 90s but it enhances like the camp which is um very appealing to me i think we can both agree though the best thing to come out of this was the batman the animated series yeah we're going to talk about that more specifically we're going to talk about how the uh batman comic books are pretty much irrelevant to what people actually like about batman and it's all tim burton and the animated series uh, i don't know there's like uh, dennis o'neill and that shit oh no i got tons of uh arguments and uh, sources to cite Oh God! <laughs> to prove it, <laughs> we're gonna um, fucking fight with the comic book industry. All right, here we go. <laughs> well, to start off though. Um, get this out of the way. Obviously, Black Lives Still Matter. Fuck twelve. ACAB. Happy Pride Month. All that good shit. Don't have time to talk all about it. Um, this episode because I got to complain about uh pop culture shit that he's <laughs> gonna. This is gonna be really video games of shit, right? Yeah. I don't, like, I'm gonna start off. I was gonna play or try to play. Um. The first one, just to try to get an idea, and I, I don't give a shit about video games really that much anymore. I like playing with my my, my kids in like multiplayer games, but I don't really care about first player games anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll play games, Death Stranding, but Death Stranding, that's about as far as it goes. Oh yeah, there's a specific reason to play Death Stranding as a game as opposed to just uh, watching, watching someone else play yeah. on YouTube. Um, which that's one of my big complaints about The Last of Us too. Is it? It's not necessary for it to be a game at all. But um, rather than going through all the details of The Last of Us two and why I don't like it and all that sort of thing, I'm just gonna just a little just a short story to sort of an allegory for the problems I have with The Last of Us two. Um, yeah, this is I, the rabbit in the hair. <laughs> this I was bored this week, and I figured after last week since I'm so anti-video games in general, I was like, you know what, maybe I should have an informed, nuanced opinion about it. I don't have anything to do this week. And I still do like the um, visceral interaction, the, the, the physical, tangible tangible parts of video games. So I was like, whatever, it'll give me something to do, keep my hands busy, I won't smoke as many cigarettes this week, something like that, you know. But uh, it wasn't um, enjoyable. In fact, it's a completely unnecessary piece of media and the big problem with that is like whatever it's not the end of the world that a video game is unnecessary right but when you factor in uh, the real world cost of this game being produced it's like uh i don't know a crime against humanity (laughs) (laughs) i get it like because like it's not as bad as like say some dude in his basement pumping out some shitty uh dinosaur space erotica right because that costs that costs about $20. Nothing. He, <laughs> yeah. didn't, he didn't have to exploit labor on a large scale or um, exploit um, ad, uh, outsourced slave wage um, manufacturing to get it produced. Well, you know I mean, I mean? let's not like, say that much because, I mean, he's probably pu- self-publishing on Amazon. Someone's getting exploited somewhere for that. But it's well, not. Yeah, a, I mean, there's not. He's not it, personally exploiting a lot of people. Right. So, anyways, here's a. My short little uh, little, little uh, short story I made up. It's, this is mostly off the top of my head, kind of. I didn't really write it down. I just have... Oh, uh, freestyling. Yeah, exactly. This is more just like the... Uh, Jay-Z doesn't ever write down his rhymes. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> he records them and listens to them again later. <laughs> yeah, they do multiple takes. <laughs> it's but, different. Um, um, preface, so I have no idea. I didn't do any research really on who Neil Druckmann is or what he looks like or anything, but to paint a picture, I, I it's just job of the hut. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But uh, it's uh, Naughty Dog Studios, Santa Monica, California. Neil Druckmann's carried in on a litter by a team of unpaid interns. Uh, the entire staff, all the developers, the management, and everyone's gathered to hear what he has to say. And he, he slithers over the podium and he leans in and he says, uh, The Last of Us 2. And then applause signs start flashing and everyone claps. And he says, uh, For this game, I was thinking we'll have a moral message about uh, the negative consequences of violence and revenge. Essentially, violence is bad. And uh, one foolish member of the development team stands up and says, uh, perhaps we, being it's a video game, we should utilize the medium and create some sort of gameplay mechanic that will uh, reinforce the message of the narrative, the narrative themes. And he said, Neil Druckmann, Wipes some drool from his face and he says, uh, says, uh, you fool. You think this is Metal Gear Solid 3? <laughs> you fool. You absolute fucking moron. We're going to make a game that's exactly the same as every other game you've ever experienced. It's going to be environmental puzzles, shooting arenas, but with very cinematic, thrilling violence. In fact, the only entertainment that will come from the game, making it a game, will be to commit four sacks of violence. And then also there'll be some moralizing and then the, the the member of the development team lowers his head and he sits down and and then another brave soul stands up and says, sir perhaps this being the most popular form of entertainment uh, a, a burgeoning frontier of possible a new medium to tell a story perhaps there should be something more in there for the players to justify all the hard work we're going to be putting into it and uh, Neil Druckmann once again says, uh, shut up, you fucking idiot. Mandatory unpaid overtime begins tomorrow. And he joyously starts throwing shackles into the crowd. <laughs> They're golden. And off to the side, uh, a young mother stands with her young child. And he, pull, he pulls on her, the young child pulls on his mother's shirt. And he says, uh, which one of these men is my father? <laughs> I have never met him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, end scene <laughs> um yeah i don't understand the point of uh making a video game that's not fun to play and has a completely mediocre well-trod story and then having that story pander to this idea of the negative aspects of violence and revenge and the cycle of revenge and then not uh have any player input to determine how those events play out because you know it's a video game, so maybe you should have some control. And then the I mean, well, it's not an RPG, so you're just kind of along <laughs> for a ride with the fleshed out characters. Well, then why isn't a fucking movie? Because it would have yeah. cost less. It wouldn't have exploited the shit out of labor. At least in the film industry, they use unionized labor. Like, the video game industry. This is my point. I've mentioned before is um, it's a high societal cost for very low art. And I don't know what the solution is, but uh, I saw yesterday some head of Sony was saying they're not going to be able to financially continue to make games at the length that they make them at. 
right for the price they're making. Yeah, right, for yeah. the price point, it's well, like fine. Like making the let's the, be honest about the cost then. Well, I, I to me it's just like shut the fuck up and stop making video games until you can figure that shit out. Then it's the same thing as. Oh, I'm a small business owner. I can't afford to pay the minimum wage. Well, if you can't afford to and pay your pay your employees a livable wage, you can't afford to be in business. Like that's the end of shit. Human suffering for a stupid fucking shitty video game to this extent. It's just I it's appalling that this is allowed in our society, but we live in a fucking death cult, so I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I mean, bigger than that. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but uh, p- people have been basically told that you know we're gonna go, di- we're just gonna die at this point because we can't stay home for more than two weeks because the economy or some shit. I guess. I'd love to argue with you about The Last of Us too, but I, again, I haven't played the game, so I'm just gonna take you at face value. And also, I like to remind you of that Cyberpunk 2077 is coming out, Kyle. So that's gonna turn everything around. I the, the one they're thing- gonna handle this perfectly. Project Red. CD, CD Red is going to be they are the they they know what they're doing. It's not going to be a good <laughs> cyberpunk story or embrace the philosophy of cyberpunk or anything like that. But the one good thing I can say about uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is it does seem to be a video game, and it uh, isn't possible not to be a video game. You know what I mean? Like at least it, it needs well, at least to yeah, be you can make shit. Yeah. <laughs> You can't say any of that for Last of Us 2. Last of Us 2 has no reason being a video game. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Like, the 2077, how much is it costing again? Like, how much are we pumping this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I'm sure, like, starvation wages for the manufacturing. We know that CD Projekt Red is uh, just uh, has been under, like, terrible crunch for their devs for at least a year now. Um, And it's just going to end up being some disposable trash. No, so. it's cyberpunk. It's gonna be like the. I mean, I, it's it, it's great on a metal metal level. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, irony. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um. I mean, I know it's weird to be that upset about video games, but I'm not upset about video games themselves. I'm upset about the compounding of human costs that go into meaningless things. I guess. <laughs> meaningless entertainment and throwaway culture and like, like the games are a really perfect example of that and in some like the big big games are yeah really what's uh yeah i'll i'm not saying anything bad about indie development or small teams that are making interesting platformers or anything like that there's tons of great video games that they don't cost as much to make hopefully they're not exploiting their workers and they end up making a product that's enjoyable to play interesting visually all sorts of things you can you know all that sort of stuff Talking about, like with most major industries, the big video game making industry is corrupt, evil, useless, detrimental to society. Um, I don't know. Uh, everyone here in Arizona is going to die from coronavirus, so I'm coming to terms <laughs> with my death. And luckily this week I was able to reconcile my relationship with comic books. <laughs> <laughs> with comic books? Let's hear yes. this. All right, so... I'm um, sort of. I reconcile my relation with comic books at like 16, so you know, welcome to the club. But <laughs> uh, no, this is more complex to do that. The All right, you can always say that, but <laughs> all right. So here's the thing: is um, I'm super critical of uh, comic books, comic book culture, uh, the the value that comic books create, comic book movies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. A lot of times when I brought it up to people before, they assume that I'm just not familiar with comic books. I've actually been fan of comic books through most of my childhood and adolescence and stuff still appreciate the the, the art that sort of thing 
Um, so it's not like as if I haven't read the you know, the sacred cows and I just don't understand the medium. It's um, uh, comic books generally are trash, and I don't mean trash in the fun John Waters camp uh, exploitation sense. I mean, they're generally not very good. Uh, there's a few wonderful sparks of creativity that happen occasionally in the comic book industry. And once again, this is more focused on uh, the, the in- industry side of comic books. So it's specifically... He's talking about Marvel and DC. He's talking Marvel and DC. Comics. Yeah, and th- specifically we'll focus on DC because we're talking about Batman. But uh, it's the same thing as uh, where the thing to think about a lot with most media I consume is uh, where does art end and just straight up consumption begin? Uh, when it comes to uh, the comic book industry, Marvel and DC, I don't know, like after the splash page. So, like I said, there's a few brief periods of artistic integrity and freedom, and freedom but they're quickly reconfigured to make safe consumer products throughout the history of comics. and. Go yeah, over and you can bit. almost kind of, um, you can kind of like name the people too. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's kind of how it is. And outside of those brief flashes, like no one really, there's people that care, but no one outside of like the huge fans really give a shit. Right. Well, part of my argument is that uh, a lot of what people appreciate about comic books um, is for, the subversion of it. Well, first off, it's propaganda, but then also um, it's. Uh, artists from outside the actual medium itself of comics using the characters in a more satisfying way. So you say you're a comic book fan, but most of the things you actually really like about these large characters, these mythological characters is actually was done outside of the art form. Itself. Oh, you're talking about the movies and like cartoons and shit. All right. Yeah. Fine. Yep. So comic books themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean course, like honestly the comic book industry at this point, the comic side of it is the smallest portion and it has been for probably 30 years, maybe more. Yeah, we'll go over the details of the, the timeline in a second. Um, but basically, my problem with the comic books, to simplify it, is uh, uh, they, they maintain character stasis to guarantee lifelong brand loyalty. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of like my argument for um, uh, the copyright laws and shit in Disney. But uh, this is a, a real, like, the, almost the perfect example of it. Is the, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I have a fucking... Perfect argument about Spider-Man, but we're not talking about that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, my thing is, uh, rather than the legality of it, this is more just on the integrity well, of the I mean, art like, form, I guess. I kind of feel like the whole point of it is like the legality of it feeds into the integrity of the art form. You know what I mean? Like the whole reason that these characters never grow and we're still doing the same stories over and over again is because of like fucking copyright laws. Well, I guess it incentivizes them to continue publishing, and even though they're out of ideas, just republish the same ideas. That way they can extend the copyright. But I think um, at the end of the day, a lot of it just comes down to um, money and make sure they have a safe product that they can rely on. And uh, specifically now, for for our day and age, uh, like you said, the comic book industry itself is a dying industry. That pretty much doesn't exist to create comics as an art form anymore. It's uh, kind of just an afterthought or a relic that's tacked nah, on it's a to feeder to like. It's it's just a it's they're huge media empires now that happen to print comics because mm-hmm. their focus is TV and movies and I don't know coffee cups, onesies, t-shirts, <laughs> vibrators, yeah, cheap shit. <laughs> 
They're not producing a lot of vibrators yet, but I'm, I'm sure you can get like a Harley Quinn rabbit or something. Ugh. Most of what you like about comics isn't actually from the comics. Not me. No, well, I don't know. We'll see. You know was... it's not, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, it, it's uh, what you like about Batman. I'm going to present now and see if I can convince you what you like about Batman is from a very brief period of creative outlook. Oh, no, that's absolutely true. But, I mean, some of it, like, the part, period you're talking about, like, they're pulling, some of it's pulled from other eras, too. I don't know. Well, uh, but guess, go ahead. Go to, to your, well, your no, first. What, what are your favorite Batman stories? Um, shit. I mean, like the, it's gonna uh, be year one, Dark Knight Returns. No, it's definitely not year not one or Dark Knight Returns. Long Halloween. Um, I don't. This is. Uh, do you, can I? Can you give me a day to compile a list? Well, I don't know. Long Halloween's on there. Dark Knight Returns. I, if you give me top ten, Dark Knight Returns might be on there, but year mm-hmm. one is not. Um, uh, Batman Rest in Peace is probably up there, but that's way recent. Uh, there's the Ra's al Ghul stuff by O'Neill, and that's in the late 70s and early 80s. There's the Death in the Family, and that, like the death of, the, of uh, Jason Todd. Mm-hmm. And then the Tim Drake stuff that comes after that. And I think that's late 80s. But I'd have to go back and look at it. All right. Perfect. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second, actually. So, but basically, yeah, real quick, well, let's just do, uh, we're gonna do a brief history of, I guess, DC Comics or comics in general. Just try to keep it as simple as possible. So um, the way it's presented now, of course, with Marvel Media or Disney Marvel and Warner Brothers DC is always just a long unending line of great artists and creators right they they, they push the idea that it's yeah i mean everybody pushes the propaganda shit but like anybody that knows comic book knows that Oof, there's a lot of it's it's there's a lot of um chaff well, in there my point is um not not that there isn't great artists and creators obviously there is these are characters that have stood the test of time there are specific stories that will be recapitulated on and on for better or for worse. There's things that are part of the cultural zeitgeist, part of the memory that do come from, as they like to profess all the time, oppressed and marginalized groups, right? A lot of the early creators were We're uh, Jewish Jewish and sons of immigrants, things like that. Um, What I'm arguing is that uh, the publishing system itself has absolutely nothing to do with that. In fact, they uh, exploited those creators oh no shit did you ever read the man of tomorrow yeah or whatever happened to the man of tomorrow you mean no no the one that happened to man of tomorrow was the alan moore thing about uh, the, the superman one the man of yeah. tomorrow is that uh or is it the men of tomorrow it's about the guys that it's a, it's a non-fiction book about the guys that made superman, superman yeah. and batman and wonder woman well, it's uh, one of the creators of Batman, Bill Finger, was not yeah. listed on anything until 2016. Well, that's because Bob Kane's kind of a shit. Bob Kane's an interesting guy. I wish we could do a whole podcast about him. But um, basically... We should do... Uh, we can do the, the fucking the creator of Wonder Woman's an interesting dude. Oh, we'll talk about that a little bit, too. <laughs> um, yeah, but essentially, uh, the, the, there's this idea that it's just a very... Um, artistic creative creator driven industry which is not the case at all these are major publishing houses that want to make a quick buck they exploited oh. the shit out of creators 
I mean, yeah, the again, the fucking crazy Superman basically died in poverty. Right. And people, I don't think people understand how huge a phenomena, phenomena Superman was in like the late 40s. It, it was like Superman was the shit. Yeah. And no, the, everywhere. These, yeah, these guys basically died in poverty because of. I mean, not just him. Well, not just them either, no. Bill Finger, right? He died in poverty. Uh, Jack Kirby basically Jack died Kirby's in poverty. Jack Kirby's the most famous one, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so what I'm. Uh, Detective Comics are aptly named because of fucking cop comics. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they get the, the burst, the first burst of success for comics. Like I was saying, the phenomenon of Superman is. I, you must. You probably had to be there to live it, but like everything I've researched about this week. It seems like it's fucking like the the this is the bee's knees. Yeah, this is like the Beatles plus like Jurassic Park combined. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to describe it. It seems like it's the biggest yeah. Well, I mean, shit here's the thing. There's other to... stories in that. Uh, um, oh, what the fuck is Adventure Comics, right? Action Comics. Yeah. Action Comics. Damn. There's other stories in the Action Comics. What were the other ones besides Superman? I don't know. Superman was cool. <laughs> exactly. There's like three other ones. Yeah, DC now likes to be well. They were the, the Superman character they created was rejected by multiple publishing houses, and they got to until they got to us, and we saw the potential. And then we exploited the shit out of. Them. And then we robbed them. And um, to uh, further to, to sow the seeds, my larger point that um, outside influence to the wait wasn't this the original thesis that you came to terms with your your feelings? Oh yeah, about? yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But to um, sow the seeds of uh, my belief that um, uh, the best content to come out of comic books is usually outside of the comic book industry. We've got to talk about the uh, late, the early 40s Fleischer Brothers Superman cartoon, which is seen as like one of the pinnacles of animation, like one of the greatest pieces of animation no. of all time. Yeah, that's fair. And of course, um, a major inspiration for Batman the Animated Series. Uh, so part of the boom of Superman, though, is uh, Batman gets created. And then they also uh, create Wonder Woman, and uh, she's uh, seen. There maybe was a, an attempt to have her be a bit of a feminist icon originally, but uh, it's also mostly just um, about bondage. It's uh, like the, her creators like uh, sex fantasies. <laughs> no, that guy. I don't think so. Yeah, they have some weird like threepole uh, sister wife relationship going on. That's I sure. mean, I'm not going to question his weird polycule relationship. Right? <laughs> live how they want. It is, but it, it is shocking. It was one. Of, it was a student, wasn't it? He was a professor. Was, that's a fucking weird relationship. I don't remember. Okay, but I'll go ahead. <laughs> I don't remember all the details of the power dynamics. What I'm more interested in pointing out is, uh, so Wonder Woman's sales were all young boys and servicemen at the time, and uh, someone oh, did. Ooh la la! Someone did the. Um, like did the math on it and it's like uh wonder woman appears tied up like on average twice per page <laughs> <laughs> like that's how prevalent it was it was basically just uh wonder woman is betty page i guess <laughs> so um i mean so that kind of put the nicks on uh the the, the feminist angle that one the dc tries to push about wonder woman and we'll come back to how wonder woman's been exploited to reinforce uh, uh societal values on how women should behave and we talk about the uh the what mid-70s depowering of wonder woman yeah <laughs> man what, this bill ends about batman 1989 right yeah <laughs> okay but it's uh, it's all connected 
did a lot of research, put a lot of thought into this episode. So anyway, because you realize that Tim Burton like never read a comic book. Yeah, uh, famously, Kevin Smith made a bit about it, um, and then he had to apologize afterwards because it was actually uh, Tim Burton talking about having trouble reading comics because of his dyslexia. And then also, um, the inspiration for the first Batman film, the one comic that Tim Burton was able to read and enjoy, is, of course, Alan Moore's Killing Joke. We'll get to that, too. But, uh, oh, I guess I should have said at the top, uh, like I said, I'm sort of a fan of comic books, hypercritical of them. Uh, I'm a disciple of Alan Moore. I think Alan Moore's a genius. He's the only person that actually understands superheroes. <laughs> Maybe like Grant no, no, Morrison. Damon Lindelof did like a, a thing. <laughs> I'm like, I, 100%, like, I feel like Kurt Buswick does get superheroes pretty good. I don't know. I just, I guess I'm... I like I you, just, I, you gotta go back and read Astro City. Uh, I mean, like yeah. he's not—he's definitely a lighter take than Alan Moore, or Graham Morrison. But I feel like he yeah. understands it. He's know, definitely my so. favorite American creator. Yeah, I just happen to like the uh, British, you like the darker well. shit. Anyways, I like the yeah, the weirdo outsider. So yeah, Alan Moore, uh, Garth Ennis, Grant Morrison, uh, Neil Gaiman to a certain extent. But Neil Gaiman is uh, very Tim Burton esque, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's certainly true. Although he's kind of like. He came around the same time as Tim Burns. So who's copying? Oh, yeah. Who? I don't think they're copying <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah, I think yeah. it's just uh, a similar movement in the mm-hmm. Gen X uh, culture. Yeah, they just kind of had similar interests and they manifested the same way. That's just more, that's just interesting more than anything. Uh, so, World War II happens. Obviously, everyone's familiar with like um, Batman and Robin beating up Hitler. Uh, they specifically uh, had just had Superman. Uh, telling people to buy war bonds and shit at home because they were like we can't just have superman go over there and end the war because the war is still going in real life so there's a weird tonal dissonance with that uh, but after world war ii um they experienced like the lowest sales they'd ever experienced for comics they had no idea what to do with the characters uh superhero shit's not popular so um horror comics begin to be in vogue we, we talked about this a little bit with creep show with the ec comics yeah but due to these horror the comic comics, code. yeah, I mean, like, we're treading. Over, I mean, maybe everybody, no, nobody knows this, but I feel like we're treading over well-trod ground at this point. Yeah, but uh, arguably the podcast is about '80s movies, so I don't know if, who's going to know this much about comic book history. All right, fair enough. Uh, so this causes moral uh, panic over the comic book content because of the horror comics. Because uh, at this time, no one's. No, actually... I mean, not really just horror comics. Detective comics. Um, there was a whole like kind of line of adult male comics too that were like oh yeah well we should that's what um dc started out as is they printed uh yeah uh racy pulp shit so that's always been uh an element of comic books i guess um but the larger point here is uh dc is not really under the microscope when it comes to this uh there is a little bit of like strain this is where the early um batman and robin are gay yeah well i mean here they they uh they kind of quickly distance themselves from this like they were under the microscope at first but they kind of uh well that's they 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 kind of read the room well it's because they immediately uh kowtow to the government and create the (laughs) comics code the only person who stood up to the government is william gaines the uh son of the creator of ec comics and the owner at the time so he's badass everyone else pussy shit uh, to further reinforce the point that it's not about the expression of art, uh, it's just to maintain a safe way to make money for them. So you got the uh, Comics Code Authority, they start pumping out squeaky clean American dream propaganda, shit's, uh, they're still basically about to go out of business. 
um, what they do. Yeah, no one gives a shit. Well, yeah, no one wants to get propaganda from fucking Superman and Batman about fucking you gotta stay home and oh, does Lois Lois Lane's like oh, does Superman really want to be my boyfriend? And you know, <laughs> yeah, I forgot. To, there's a lot of uh, everybody's seen those meme comic book covers. There's yeah. a lot of those like Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, Superman's best friend. Yeah, uh, that's that's the period. This this should, this is the period that it's like the Superman art and the Archie comics gang. Yeah, uh, luckily Except for, Archie Comics is actually well more well written than this, this Superman show was at the time. It was absolutely. Also, Archie Comics maybe still um, will be. I don't know. I haven't read yeah. Archie Comics in a while. Let's, Archie let's Archie is due. Archie Comics is big influence on Batman the animated series as well because uh, the art of Archie Comics is uh, Bruce Tim, the guy that designed all the characters and directed and wrote a bunch of episodes. Uh, one of his major art influences is this guy that uh, created the Archie art style. So thanks, Archie. You helped save Batman. <laughs> uh, um, what happens next is uh, Julie Schwartz is an editor at DC. He steps in to revitalize the Flash. So in the golden era, golden age, as they call it, Flash was he had that dorky helmet and shit, and he was oh yeah like, yeah guy uh, guy Garrick. I don't remember what he's called. Garrick. He just yeah, he runs around and he you know whatever it's like magic. Um, but Flash, so now uh, if it's post-World War II, so everything's about the atomic age, right? Fear of the atomic age. So everything's more science-based now, and this will continue onward until... That's, um, that's why Flash has a time-traveling treadmill. <laughs> yeah, but th- what they do with the, the revitalized Flash in this is instead of it being a magic ring that who knows where it comes from or how magic works or whatever, they try to come with a scientific backstory where lightning strikes his chemistry equipment and it turns him into the Flash. And so, then he's some for some reason he has magic speed force powers like ten yeah. years later. You know, I just want to bring you know it up. the magic creep. <laughs> I just want to bring it up and give credit to Julie Schwartz where he kind of did uh, jumpstart this uh, the, the side effects of yeah, the atomic age. As I'm uh, just getting getting to the point where comic books always kind of snap back, and there's always this weird shit where you know the next creator is going to do something completely different. Yeah, nothing um, really matters. Yeah, exactly because they need to maintain. Um, uh, the stasis of the characters so they can continue to have a brand long term right that's kind of why i don't know my my feeling comp is you should read the the ones that are good and if you you care enough outside of that great but otherwise who cares my feeling is the stories that are good will be recapitulated as movies anyway so you just wait to watch the movie <laughs> no they don't <laughs> no, they i'm just kidding anyways yeah <laughs> long halloween is dope everyone should read the long halloween um so flash saves the day for dc unfortunately uh they uh, try to revitalize the other characters too, but they instead of doing interesting stuff, they do weird shit. So this is when Superman gets a uh, crypto super dog, and there's like the Superman family and like Super Cat. You know what I mean? Weird shit. Yeah, they've done that shit with Batman recently too. I'm kind of Spider Man. Yeah, and the, uh, this is the same time where they uh, they do the same thing with Batman. This is the point where Batman's uh, basically like. Take Batman? a Rob, yeah, Robin and Batgirl to preschool and shit. And <laughs> they've got like Bat Dog, and and they uh, have that. Well, this is the period where the antlers with them too, right? And uh, something like yeah, it's just you don't remember that whole, what the fuck is her name? Because uh, uh, Alfred disappears. Oh, she has the stupidest name. It's Bruce Wayne's aunt. I don't know, whatever. It's dumb. Yeah, it's bad. That's the point I'm getting to. Uh, it's so bad that Batman is about to stop being published. But who steps in to save the day? Adam Fuck, West. Yeah, fucking television. The 1960s camp satirical Batman show saves Batman's life. Could have been the end of Batman, but uh, an outside medium saved him. Huh. I wonder if that'll happen again. 
Uh, this is a point where Marvel does step into the spotlight, and I will give Marvel com- Comics credit in the 60s. They are addressing more relevant uh, topics and trying to do more uh, to relate to their target audience. Obviously, yeah, I mean, you got to give about Jack Kirby a lot of but credit. Yeah, Jack Kirby <laughs> and Stanley Rule, they are great creators. But once again, the Marvel Corporation itself uh, fucking didn't do anything for those men. They, yeah, <laughs> they just they just cared about the merchandise and shit. They didn't. I mean, Stanley made it out. One hundred percent, Stanley made it out of the best of all those guys. But even he, he did not die with as much money as he should have made from those fucking characters. No, That's my personal belief. And he, uh, the money he did die with is from him building himself as a brand over forty years. You know, what I mean, not through any like goodwill that Marvel did for him. It's just it's Stanley's career is actually just because the fans knew who he was and loved him, and so they wanted to see him, and he wanted, so he's the intro to the X Men cartoon in the seventies. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not anything Marvel. It's not anything Marvel did for him. All they did just was, him trying to be interesting himself. Yeah, it was just him being a cool guy, and Marvel uh, exploited the shit out of him, just like every other creator they had until a few young upstarts in the nineties. <laughs> And then they started their own comic book company because they exploit the credit of the shit out of their creator. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, so DC is on the ropes again because they're still doing like fucking Bat Dog saves the day. Uh, but luckily, oddly enough, this goes against the narrative I've created so far. Uh, DC is bought by Warner Brothers in the late 60s. And uh, Warner Brothers brings in kind of a bunch of new creative staff. And this is like, when they do like Justice League, right? Yeah, this is the first generation of like comic book creators who wanted to make comics, right? Like they comics has existed long enough now that these guys grew up Our reading comics, comics and want to make comics. So uh out of this like conflict between like the suit and tie editors, businessmen that are running DC and like the basically like fucking hippies and beatniks that come in <laughs> to write the shit, uh for a brief moment, once again, a brief flash brief period, uh DC starts to have interesting shit again right so this is uh you know teen titans um well the big thing is this is green arrow basically capping the shit out of super cop green lantern right (laughs) oh yeah right i forgot about that shit and uh speedy's on drugs well yeah so the big thing is uh the black man comes up to hal jordan green lantern he said you saved all these other people's lives purple skin aliens green skin aliens out in space and shit and what have you done for a man with black skin and it was like, oh shit, fucking superheroes, you're a joke. And yeah, John or uh, Hal Jordan sucks. He's a fucking cop. He's a space cop. Fuck that shit. <laughs> All the Greenlanders are space cops. Don't lie. Even uh, even John you- Stewart. This is when they space com. Yeah, this uh, is when they introduced John Stewart, and I uh, bring that up real quick just because Kyle, uh, Kyle Rayner's a space cop. What the yeah. fuck is that? Well, son the- of a bitch got punched in the face by a Batman. He's a space cop too. <laughs> uh, Guy Gardner. Yeah, him. <laughs> well, yeah, all the Green Lantern. That's what they are. They're space cops. I, know. I said yeah. that already, damn it. Yeah, but um, and that's an interesting point you bring up, too, because uh, then this is when Jon Stewart's created, which is uh, great. It really is good for representation, especially in that time period where he's not, they don't call him Black Green Lantern. And, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's not based on I a black exploitation character. I mean, I guess character, Black Panther kind of is a black exploitation character. But he was, in, he was introduced in like ep, uh, issue four of or five of Fantastic Four, wasn't it? Yeah, and also there's quite and a he bit beat more the of, shit of out of the Fantastic there's Four. There's quite a bit more nuance to Black Panther in that he is um fucking radically black. 
and <laughs> royalty and, and she, I mean, jack kirby was a cool guy yeah, you know what and, i mean like uh Stanley, jack kirby and stanley were cool dudes well, that's, the, the thing is, what I'm, the point I'm getting to is the comic book industry itself is kind of riding on the coattail of a couple of cool dudes that they... Oh, well, I mean, that's every industry, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the, what really set me off on this is I was one of the, the, like, the documentaries I watched this week about like uh, Batman the Animated Series. Uh, one of the top comics was like, comments was like, fucking, I'm, this makes me so proud to be a fan of DC. And it's just like, what the? F- you're proud because you like some fucking consumer products. Weird. So this basically, this podcast is me dressing down those people. Like, oh, you like some consumer products, so you're. I mean, proud of like, it? again, like you like story. I, mean, I get it. You can like a story, but <laughs> yeah, how is there? You have pride in some consumer products you like. You. Can I mean, this venerate- is one of those symptoms. Like, of, like the modern man does not have anything to believe in anymore. It seems like, and so I'm gonna believe in fucking DC comics. Exactly. But um, you yeah, should believe so, in this podcast. If you're gonna believe in anything, something bullshit. Yeah, believe in podcast. Believe in VHS cult. Um, yeah, but uh, now that you bring it up, John Stewart is like kind of the perfect example of uh, like sort of performative uh, politics, like that we saw this week, where uh, we do, we wanted to fund the police and we want justice. While I'm like, well, I'll have you know that the Simpsons will no longer have white actors voice the black characters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Take that, Carl Carlson, <laughs> the only black character I think. I, oh wait, no wait, the other, the 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 cop on. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean. It's just this weird. Oh, what, so Green Lantern sucks because he's a cop who can't understand the plight of regular people. But what if it was a black cop who didn't understand the plight of? Regular people? <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, this is when Speedy's a junkie too. This is where they try to throw back a Green Arrow, right? This is a. We're yeah, you, are pay, you are paying attention to your own sidekick. Yeah, like, well, you think you care about poor people matters where your sidekick is doing drugs. It's, yeah, Green Lantern, because it's a hard fucking world for people like us. Fucking idiot. Well, I mean, come on. Green Arrow's a rich man. Yeah. <laughs> he don't know. Um, so, <laughs> uh, oddly enough, though, the, 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 the creative team behind uh, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern shit that's going on, uh, they get handed the Wonder Woman book by editorial staff and for all the goodwill they did with green arrow and green lantern uh, this is when wonder woman becomes a powerless karate lady who is worried <laughs> about her boyfriends and shit ah <laughs> oh, fucking hell um, dc Kong. what a the, bunch of the, the bag of garbage <laughs> the writer for the series um o'neill i think or he's got no name he's some irish guy uh, he he legitimately seems to it seems to be like a legitimate misguided mistake. I have to go back and look. Fuck it, who cares? I try to pull it up. But I'm already bored. Yeah, um, yeah. In retrospect, he's like, you know, I thought I was helping, but I can yeah, see no, I remember them talking about it in, in interviews afterwards, and they felt really. It seemed like they felt really bad about it because they're like, yeah, I get it now. Like she's the only legitimate superhero. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, Gloria Steinem, uh, lover or hater. Uh, for, for I mean the white feminism thing, but you know, uh, she did step in to criticize the shit out of them. <laughs> um, and so they do revert uh, Wonder Woman briefly back to being a bit of a feminist icon, or there, there's a push to do that from the feminist movement at the time. But um, DC's response to that is uh, they do the TV show, which I, I loved as a kid. As a five-year-old, yeah. I love that shit. <laughs> it's also not particularly um, offensive, I guess, to women, I would say. It doesn't go out of its way to be uh, demeaning or 
pandering. It is definitely a product of the time. Uh, but what's interesting for me about this particular period is uh, the push within the feminist movement at the time, uh, using Wonder Woman as a, somewhat of a feminist icon because of the power that's associated with her. And um, what DC and the entertainment industry does is they make a Wonder Woman TV show that doesn't really reflect any of the values that the feminist movement is interested in. And it's just another one of those examples where like counterculture is always defanged and incorporated into like the capitalist machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, this is, <laughs> this is a, a very critical episode. We're critical of, uh, well, at some point we'll get to Batman. Oh yeah. We'll get to Batman. It's going to be awesome. This is going to be a long episode of next week's going to be better because we'll probably record it like 4th of July Oh, I'll be drinking. I, I gotta, I gotta, I'm already, I'm drinking right now. But um, just to remind you, this is episode 92. We're coming up on 100 episodes, so coming you gotta think about. Episodes. You gotta think about what you want to do. Okay. Uh, yeah. Next week will also be my birthday episode, so we'll be watching a very special movie, not from the 80s. Oh, it's from 1963. <laughs> do you guys like Blue Elvis? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Um, so after that, we uh, super. This is when uh, Superman or Super Friends is on TV in the morning. Get the kids back in it, right? We gotta get the kids back on board. Kind of like tobacco companies, like we gotta get them young. Yep. And then uh, this is also oh shit, Superman movie comes out in the late seventies. Um, because of Super Friends, the one room and TV show, the Superman movie coming out. Um, Comic books are becoming more mainstream, reincorporated back into capitalism, essentially. Uh, This is no more confrontational art or counterculture can be expressed in comic books at this point. So throughout the 70s and early part of the 80s, uh, comic books turned into corporate like bullshit again. And then um, Superman, though, the movie, the series, spawns three sequels. I think all of them are bad. I haven't watched most of them in a long time. But they get tons of merchandise sales. One of them has Richard Pryor. Uh, they tons of merchandise sales. The movies do well at the box office uh, since they're a product of Warner Brothers as well. And just seeing the dollar signs, they're like, "Huh, maybe we make money off of the movies? Maybe <laughs> the movies where money be Batman too? <laughs> Batman? Yeah." So it's basically they're like, "Well, Superman made us all these dollar bills. What can we do with Batman?" <laughs> Uh, luckily, though, Tim from the point of Superman coming out and Batman coming out, the comic books stop being stupid corporate bullshit. And there's another brief flash, probably what anyone listening to is familiar with comics or comic book movies. Yeah, so it's the Dark Knight Returns, a, one uh, Watchmen era. This is the period where everyone is most familiar with. This is my. This is probably the apex of com- <clears throat> comic book storytelling. It's 1986. Watchmen comes out. Crisis of Infinite Earths. Um, year one, Dark Knight Returns. <clears throat> All this sort of shit is happening. Sandman with Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, this is probably the best period in comic books. Of course, like I mentioned previously, where um, it had to be reincorporated into capitalism. Uh, the, 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 of course, the publishers, Marvel and DC, uh, start incorporating dark and gritty storytelling into as many mainstream styles <laughs> as possible. Yeah, I mean, you've seen it parodied and uh, in, in satirized since then. Right. Um, yeah, it becomes so prevalent and disingenuous and without any integrity 
that uh, it even makes some of the stuff from the 80s seem almost like comically edgy now, right? Yeah, it almost seems like self-parody. Right. And then, of course, the, the ultimate like treatise on that period is Kingdom Come. Oh. Yeah, that's where like they at the end of the day, they put a stamp on it and said, ah, serious. <laughs> and no more. <laughs> and we're done here. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, there's another there's another uh, golden age of, of combos coming. It's going to be you and me. You got you think there's uh, there's anything left to be said about superheroes? Um, yeah, I could. I watched Wonder uh, Watchmen um, uh, last week, and oof, it really falls apart after episode six. Um, Damon well, Lindoff is yeah. really great about setting up puzzle boxes, and he hates when he has to show you what's what's in those boxes because <laughs> yeah. they, they're not they're not fun. It's not fun. I mean, the whole thing is it doesn't. There's Watchmen... a flat drawing of what what the Watchmen was. Well, the Watchmen doesn't need a sequel. A sequel, it doesn't. I don't. I don't know why anyone. Oh yeah, this is gonna be great. It sucks too because I kind of like the the idea behind it, but ugh. Nah, I mean, I was like, what the fuck? They're making Watchmen, and I wasn't planning on watching it. And someone, one of my friends, like, asked me a question about it as if I was watching it, and I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, the new Watchmen show. And I watched it, and I was like, "Oh God, <laughs> it could be worse." Uh, from what I understand, they made a Watchmen uh, sequel in the comic books. Did you read oh yeah, that? yeah. Of course, uh, no, I didn't read it. Of course, DC would though. Uh, we, we, I guess, if we want, we can further drive home the uh, horror of the publishing houses with uh, how DC uh, completely. We're talking about Superman confronting Doctor Manhattan and Rorschach and Batman and all that fucking shit. I haven't no, seen I'm, it. I'm Again, talking about. <laughs> well, I'm talking about DC making. Um, I don't know, probably billions of a billion dollars. And never paying anybody. I'm watching them at this point, and um, no, Alan Moore never getting a fucking cent of it. Yeah, uh, I mean, we can talk about that, but. Yeah. <laughs> depressing as shit again it's just the same thing over and over again that happens in uh comic book publishing yeah so basically comic book industry sucks a lot of the time they just produce uh, meaningless trash and there's just a few little sparks of uh creativity that kind of get through 1986 is the big one um like i said tim burton the only batman comic he really was able to read and enjoy was killing joke which is of course written by alan moore uh, I don't know if the best representation of Batman and Alan Moore agrees with me. Yeah, but I mean, it's um, fucking good. It's also a comic book, so you do have the privilege of being like, well, it's just uh, an aside. That's not actually jo- a Joker's backstory or any of that sort. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're able to just be like, yeah, well, okay. Um, to also piggyback on top of uh, the... The, the, the publishing industry seeing like the, the dollar signs and reincorporating this edginess but making sure it's uh, very consumer friendly. We've got to talk about uh, one of my favorite Batman comic books written by Grant Morrison is of course Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on oh, Serious Earth. Serious Earth yeah. So this came out um, the same year. That's, uh, that's as- Grant Morrison going, that's really when Grant Morrison takes off too. Well, this, this is the period where like all my favorite creators they Start getting famous, I guess. Um, I I've, I didn't read them contemporaneously because I was only three years old in 1989. But <laughs> going back is when I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. Oh, okay, this is cool. I get it. Yeah. So the, the Serious House on Serious Earth comes out, or it's published about uh, three months before. Oh no, it's six to nine months before the Batman movie is going to be coming out. Uh, there's a specific element in a serious house on serious earth where uh, the Joker, who is commonly seen as being queer coded, 
is presented as explicitly gay, adding like new layers and dimensions to his relationship with Batman. Uh, because the movie was coming out, though, editorial staff stepped in and had them remove most of that so that uh, the movie could be more of a safe consumer product and the comics would reflect that. So uh, just another just another event in a long line of the, uh, the industry itself, for some reason, censoring itself, even though it's the cheapest goddamn product to make. Basically, no budget goes into it. <laughs> they could basically do whatever they want, and they profess that it's about artistic integrity all the time, but it really just seems to be about making sure they get the money. That's basically, again, uh, every industry that isn't... Um... Whew, I, I'm, yeah, well, I'm, really, I don't know. Like self-publishing, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know. Well, yeah, the industry itself, corporations, obviously, they're not good. Um, I guess this episode. Like, I mean, you can look at like, like what was it, Avengers Endgame? Like, we're gonna have gay characters in it. It was like the fucking dude in the um, in the meeting. Oh, okay, with, cool. with Captain America. Like, okay, that's a, all right, guys. Well, it's because they got to be able to edit it out for the Chinese audience. Well, that's racist. No, that's the fucking reality of capitalism. <laughs> Nothing matters except for the bottom line. Um, yeah, obviously this is not shocking new information to you. It's I'm more addressing it maybe uh, anyone listening to the podcast who has like a soft spot for uh, comic books as an industry because they think they bought into the propaganda perhaps that it is just a long line of heroic creators from marginalized backgrounds telling real stories that connect to a lot of people. So nah, that's not it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's some yeah. of that in there, but it's like those more, those creators uh, never got any money for what they created. <laughs> Although Grant Morrison's made out pretty all right. Yeah, Grant Morrison's done all right. Alan Moore did later on. It's just a, it's just a real like slap in the face, or, or it really encapsulates the problem with the major publishers. The story of Alan Moore and David Gibbons, how they were <laughs> swindled by DC. Yeah. And never made any money off of their arguably greatest creation, right? I mean, arguably the greatest creation in comic books, right? Watchmen. Yeah, that's that's the one comic book uh, that is ascended into like literary greatness, right? Right. Well, you can maybe argue the Sandman, but that Watchmen would be that would be it. Yeah, I'm, everyone agrees. You can ask Neil Gaiman, can ask Grant Morrison. I don't know who else you can ask, but those guys seem pretty cool. They all agree Alan Moore's a genius, and I agree with them. Alan Moore is a genius. He's a weird-ass dude, but, like, I don't know. He's a genius. A lot of geniuses are fucking weird. I, I, <laughs> I worry that if uh, I had, like, money, I'd be more like um, uh, Howard Hughes than any oh. other. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> that I would like Bruce Wayne, but it's fun to think about, right? Uh, oh, I mean, 100%. I, I would be... <laughs> yeah, you would never see me. Yeah, I mean, like, You would see me, but like the general public would never see me. That's the thing is, Bob Kane, um, or his original name is Robert Kahn, he's the son of Jewish immigrants, but he changed it to Kane after graduating high school, uh, comes from a very poor background, so when he's creating Bruce Wayne, it's obviously a little bit of a fantasy for him. Like, oh, what would it be like if I was rich? So he creates Bruce Wayne. And when I was thinking about that fact, and I was like, "Man, I just end up like Howard Hughes for sure," because <laughs> you know, the specifically the time period where he was just in his home theater, he had a napkin over his dick, and he was peeing in jars and just watching movies all the time. Yeah, I wouldn't be that dude, but I would definitely be 
I imagine if Ted Kaczynski didn't want to make bombs and had a lot of money. And that's probably where I'm at. Yeah. I'm just sitting in a cabin in a lake somewhere writing bullshit to myself. That sounds pretty nice. I might be able to do that too. I was the Howard Hughes thing. was just because, um, essentially that's all what I'm already doing now. You know I mean? <laughs> I'm not peeing in jars or anything because the bathroom is just, you know, a few steps away. Well, I mean, Howard Hughes was rich. The bathroom was a few steps away from him too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He, he, had a, he had a compulsion, Kyle. It's yeah. not. It's not the bathroom is too far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem is though is I've had weird compulsions already, and I can see if getting to a certain point where um, I make the wrong choices, become more detached from my family or people around me, and the compulsions take over. Well, oh yeah, I guess I'll just be Howard Hughes. <laughs> now you build a spruce goose. Yeah, so uh, that's a brief history of comic books, specifically a DC slant, Batman slant. Uh, and to, a delve into our psyches. Yeah, and to let you, so basically, there you go. Um, no more debate. I'm absolutely right. The comic industry is garbage. There's a few great creators that we can happily venerate, and we can love their creations and the mythology they created. Uh, that's what's more important than anything to do with the media empires or the business aspect or DC, Marvel, any of that shit. Nope. What's lovable is that Superman is the fantasy of immigrants and he brought the best of the old country with American values and it is a beautiful character. And then I, you know what? I was, I agree with you, Kyle. I don't have anything to say against you. You're right. I also say this, that uh, DC or Warner Bros. recently said that they're having trouble coming up with an idea for a modern Superman movie. And I think that means they're dumb as shit. Uh, yes, I'm obviously. <laughs> well, the thing is, um, the, the, these movies aren't made by creators anymore, right? You know, I mean, they're made by yeah. businessmen. It's not the same as no. Tim. Zack Snyder was like a real auteur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, he really understood Watchmen, right? <laughs> like uh, again, I'm like my whole problem with like Zack Snyder and Damon Lindelof is like, they seem to like really misunderstand like the fundamental question at the end of Watchmen, don't they? They seem to uh, misunderstand every fundamental theme of the Watchmen. Okay, well. Because it's, well, what kind of person puts on a mask to do this? How would they actually act? What is the legitimacy of vigilantism? Are superheroes really worth venerating, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, what is the, the fear of the um, Cold War erupting in the atomic end? How can that be solved? How can man be brought? You know what I mean? There's huge, important themes that are in Watchmen, and like none of that is explored in the movie. Or the TV show. <laughs> the TV show ends up being basically like, hey, kids, cops are still your heroes. <laughs> yeah, the FBI's going to arrest this dude. Yeah. He killed three million people. That's the right thing to do. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. The, the big argument when uh, it came out, obviously, is the, another front in the stupid culture war where it's uh, SJWs versus chuds on the internet it's uh, yeah everyone, everyone needs to that. look at it from a different angle where uh, it's just straight up trash and it's <laughs> just reinforcing stupid bland liberal political values and then uh, just months later everyone's out in the streets protesting police brutality against black people after watchman opens with the tulsa race massacre and that the, the major thesis of the show is that cops are still good, even though they're depicted rounding up criminals, beating and torturing them in <laughs> Damon Lindelof, you hero. I also love that the, their whole the whole thesis is like, oh, the racism is caused by this one cabal. Yeah, what? <laughs> Yikes. 
And anyone can be convinced of racism if they see the Dr. Manhattan tape or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the basically reconciliation I came with to with comics is uh, you got to separate the art from the industry. Very much appreciate the art. Some of my heroes from childhood still get to be my heroes. Uh, just do not care about the, the business aspect of any of that shit, which means to a certain extent, it's going to be really hard to convince me to ever really care about any of the movies that these media giants produce. However, at least Tim Burton's Batman is Tim Burton's Batman. <laughs> wow, we're like an hour into it. We got there. There's a lot of superhero fans that would love to see you do another Batman film. <laughs> Have you ever thought about it? Definitely. There's one coming out every week. It's not. <laughs> there's enough people doing it, I think. Yep, 1989, Tim Burton's Batman. Everything we just talked about stills be out play here because, like I said, Killing Joke, main inspiration for Tim Burton's Batman. The art deco film noir design of Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, is slightly inspired by how Gotham is depicted in Dark Knight Returns by the, the set designer for the film. And then that goes on to be how Gotham is depicted in the animated series. Yeah. I so, mean, that's even hard. Uh, to be fair, though, it harkens back to where Batman was originally created in like the, you know, the 20s. And... Well, they're copying noir film. Noir. Yeah. Which is another aspect of the Tim Burton Batman movie. But um it's completely revitalized by this movie and a little bit of the work in the from 86 to 96 uh like i mentioned earlier when i was some list some of your favorite batman stories um a lot of i'm gonna guess 90 percent of them take place between 1986 and 1996 yeah well i would say it's most of them are between like 1979 and uh, 96 and there's a couple after 96 so my other um I challenge, I guess, at the beginning was that what you like about Batman, not you specifically, but our generation, so to speak. You know, 100%, our generation likes Batman the Animated Series. And the Tim Burton movie, movies, and um, Dark Knight Right Returns, and uh, The Killing Joke, and Arkham Asylum, which is yeah. just the animated series as a video yeah, game. Yeah, Arkham Asylum is just like a remake of the animated series. I, I mean, like, I would say that the modern idea, or most of our generation's idea, the millennial idea of Batman is, uh, it's Batman the Animated Series, it's Batman 1989, it's The Dark Knight Returns, and it's maybe, you know, uh, the Nolan trilogy with with I don't know, maybe year one, but I would be surprised. Well, with well, one. here's um, I think year one is important, and the reason I think it's important is with regards to Batman Begins. Originally, Darren Aronofsky was gonna make uh, Batman Year One, 
uh, but that didn't work out. So Warner Brothers picked up Christopher Nolan to step in for Aronofsky. He turned it into Batman Begins rather than making it more of a direct translation of Year One. But it's still right. technically you can see year some one. of Year One in there. Yeah, I mean yeah. the Bat scene for sure. So even the Nolan trilogy is a recapitulation of something from this period, essentially. At least Batman Begins is right. No, Batman so, Begins borrows a lot from Year One. So aside from those handful of comic books, most of what people like about Batman is from movies and cartoon. Am I right or am I right? <laughs> no, I wouldn't argue that. <laughs> That's true of every superhero. Like what, what people like about Iron Man is the movies. What people like Captain America is the movies. What people like about Spider-Man is the movies. I, people have, my son has read more Spider-Man comic books than 90% of the people my age. 99% of the people my age. Okay. I'm just saying that, like, that's the true of every superhero. You know, they don't, no one reads comic books anymore. Well, yeah. So that's what I, do. I guess that's my larger point is uh, comic books have been become increasingly irrelevant. And the only times that they were relevant were small little periods. Um, the best thing about Batman is just the character Batman and what other people have done with them. Well, yeah, again, I mean, a part of it's because it's, these characters have gone on for so long. There's, with 100 years of stories, you can't have a hundred years of good stories. It's impossible. Oh, well, I guess my point now is uh, all the cool shit of Batman is from this small period of time. Basically, um, the animated series, the Burton movies, uh, some of the comic books around the same time period. And if anyone wants to argue that with me, I'm going to challenge anyone to go through like any of the main series Batman books that have been written in like the last... What about I'll argue Batman Rest in Pieces as good as well, the, and that yeah, Grant Morrison's also the Quarter Owls and stuff. Yeah, no, there's that like, Quarter Owls is not as good as that. I'll I'll fight you over that. <laughs> Grant Rest in Pieces is at least as good as Year One, and and it probably as good as Dark Knight Returns. All right, so here's the things that I like about Batman are the gothic horror elements, the psychological and psychosexual elements of his rogues gallery. There's body horror elements. Yeah, that's all the, in then the, the more shit that trilogy Grant Morrison. Batman Rest in Peace uh, trilogy. Too. Yeah, and the exploration of his rogues gallery as fully fleshed out characters. These are all really interesting shit, right? I'm, what I'm positing here is if you go through like the last 25 or 30 years of Batman comics, you're not going to be able to find like a storyline from the main series that really reflects any of those uh, concepts. Except Besides for, that Graham Morrison one. Yeah, except for a very few objections. Like, so... The point is, you don't need to read Batman comics to be a Batman fan. Yeah, I mean, I guess you. There's a few Batman comics you should probably read if you want. If you're a Batman fan, I feel like I'm into Batman. Yeah, go read some Batman comics. I'm not telling anyone not to read comics. I'm just basically they're not that necessary. And aside from a few um, really good works, they're not that great. That said, most of them are better than Batman versus Superman. I mean, yeah, that's just a bad Dark Knight Returns. You could just read Dark Knight really Returns. Really bad Dark Knight Returns. I mean, Dark Knight Returns is already like weird, campy shit, anyways. But it's a lot better than Batman vs Superman. And so, at the end of the day, comic books have limitless potential. Anything is possible for basically no budget. But they still just sit there and spin their wheels and create safe consumer products. But luckily, one brave man was given the opportunity to direct a Batman movie. The man who apparently didn't know very much about Batman. But he, he did seem to understand the characters based on some of the quotes. But like, someone probably had to explain them to him because he couldn't read the comics. That brave man 
is now a joke. He's kind of the punchline to a lot of like uh, movie jokes. But uh, yeah, he had a really great run, but he has not made a lot of good movies in the last twenty years. Yeah, but he used to be cool. His name is Tim Burton, <laughs> and uh, before Batman, all he had done was Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. I mean, all he's done are two of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's just, uh, to compare that, um, so he's uh, given the reins of the Batman movie specifically by Warner Brothers, right? They're like, you know, he did a pretty good job. Beetlejuice made some money. Here you go, son, make a Batman movie. Compare that with hey. last week's episode. Remember when... Uh, Tim Burton do a Batman. Remember yeah. when Catherine Bigelow came to a studio with her own screenplay? And had already directed another movie, and the producer said, "Hey, you got five days to prove to me you can get the job hey, done." Hey, Kyle, do you know <laughs> do you know what the difference between Tim Burton and uh, Catherine Bigelow is? He's got a wiener. That's right. One of them's got a peepers, and one of them's got an innie. <laughs> yeah, his probably looks gnarled and weird. Very gothic. Uh, I mean, yeah. he's got sharp <laughs> gothic angles. <laughs> <laughs> so in- interesting. Um, the Tim Burton has a lot of the same uh, a lot of his cinematic influences that he cites are uh, creators that I like quite a bit so I don't think I would ever make a uh, Tim Burton style movie but it's interesting their taste of the line so his influences specifically that he's mentioned multiple times are uh, Mario Bava Vincent Price, Roger Corman Barbara Steele who he homaged in Sleepy Hollow but also the man the sexy man himself the man who loved making the titty movies Russ Meyer um, I don't know how true this is, but it's pretty funny. Uh, uh, Tim Burton claims that he received a lifelong ban from any and all Comic-Con events after the release of the Batman film due to having uh, some fundamental deviations from the canon. I find that hard to believe because they've had a lot of weird shit going on in Comic-Con these days. Like, they had the fucking Twilight people there. I'm sure they the have Comic-Con is not. I mean, like maybe they did in 89. Maybe he did get a ban in 89. Well, it used to be I'm way sure different he- back then. Did he come? Like, didn't they do uh, like a uh, when he did the Wizard of Oz shit? Didn't they do a panel there? I don't know. I bet they did. I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Um, <clears throat> it's I think it's more probably in the the 90s or so when the yeah. I mean, this is back when not... like the the big star was like Stan Lee and Bruce Campbell. <laughs> you well, know, Comic Con's a very good example of, uh, of like, what happened uh, to <laughs> what happened to the comic book or, or nerd culture in general, where it went from. Uh, being you know nerdy shit to uh that said not all nerdy shit not all the insular nerdy shit was a good thing so i don't know if it was if it's good or bad that it's been it's more corporate you know what i mean like sometimes i don't know my created some weird shit corporations and big like banning tim burton (laughs) stepping into anything is uh not uh beneficial for anyone yeah yeah that's probably true i'm I don't not know. saying it was the greatest environment of all time to be a nerd in the 90s or whatever but uh, i don't think the corporations or big business helped it at all maybe the inclusiveness aspect uh, performative inclusivity <laughs> um yeah so that's some weird nerd shit i don't know the validity of it but it's funny to think about 90s comic-con i wonder how smelly it was <laughs> pretty smelly it's still not i'm sure it's still not great I mean, I think you gotta like pay a lot of money to get in there now and be like kind of an insider, don't you? No, well, you I mean, go to, make I bet keep... going forward, it's not going to be open to the public. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're living in a weird world now. Yeah. Things are changing dramatically. Tim Brown was only thirty-one when Batman was released. 
Yeah, Kyle, fuck you. Yeah, I mean, I was like, man, I ain't going to do shit with my life. Sometimes I read him like, oh, he didn't do anything to. He's like, what, in his 40s? <laughs> I got time. I got time. And then, he, then time. he's like, Tim Burton was 31 when he's Batman. And then I'm like, wait, when did he do Beetlejuice and Pee Wee? <laughs> <laughs> when he's fucking six. Can you believe it? Uh, yeah, he's the youngest person ever to direct a Batman film, though. So I guess don't feel too bad. He was just... Um, oh, I still got time. He was a Wonderkin, right? Wonderkin. Wonderkin. <laughs> Uh, famously, he was also going to direct a failed 90, 1990s Superman uh, reboot with Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard that Kevin Smith story. It sounded not good. But... Speaking of Kevin Smith, here's the best Tim Burton quote of all time. Anybody who knows me knows I would never read a comic book, and I certainly would never read anything written by Kevin Smith. They've <laughs> <laughs> uh, since reconciled, like I said. Kevin Smith apologized about the bit. <laughs> And uh, Tim Burton was like, yeah, I was just upset. <laughs> but it's all pretty funny. Yeah, I don't know. Those two guys don't seem like any... But honestly, neither of them seem like they'd hold a grudge against anyone. <laughs> well, it's also like neither of them seemed like that particularly upset about it at the time. Yeah. They were both just kind of like talking shit. Uh, who's the star of the movie? It's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Batman. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's Robin Williams, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh hmm. yeah, I know facts, Kyle. <laughs> I, I didn't have to look him up; I already knew him. Rob Williams was offered the role of the Joker because Jack Nicholson hesitated. Jack Nicholson was the first choice. Uh, I heard, I've heard that they only offered Rob Williams to get Jack Nicholson to do it. That's true, and it is in fact the reason why Rob Williams uh, refused to play the Riddler in Batman Forever and refused to be involved in any Warner Brothers production until the studio apologized. Oh man, good for him! Yeah. Hold the grudge, man. You're fucking Rob Williams. You don't have to deal with that shit. Yeah, 89 too. Rob Williams in 89 is already like fucking superstar. Like, I don't care about Jack Nicholson. I'm going to get out there and do what Rob Williams does best. (laughs) (laughs) Make funny voices and steal other people's jokes. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking more of free bass and cocaine, but you know. Uh, so Jack Nicholson did eventually accept the role, but he did so under strict conditions that dictated top billing, which is, I mean, he has top billing. He's also is the star of the movie too. So, you know, uh, is a guy that does not give a shit about that. <laughs> no, uh, he also got a portion of the film's earnings, including associated merchandise. This is like the fucking, that's fucking crazy here. Uh-huh. My own experience with Batman 1989, you probably are too young to remember this. It was a phenomenon, uh, apparently, right? Yeah, 100%. This is my first time I remember seeing a line around the theater and actually waiting in line to go in <laughs> to see this. And I, you, I was Batman in 89 for Halloween. Do you remember that? I don't, but I do remember that Batman was the first movie I saw in theaters as a three-year-old. But uh, the only thing I remember about it is uh, being woken up at the end when we were leaving. I fell, <laughs> I fell asleep like 15 minutes into it. I think. <laughs> Man, I love this movie as a five-year-old. It was it was my jam. Megan, uh, our cousin, suggested I dye my hair for our Halloween costume to I be more that. like Batman. Yeah, I mean, I had one of those like vinyl costumes with the plastic masks, and you yeah. when you talk, you cut your tongue. Oh, great! <laughs> it's infuriating. <laughs> Happy Halloween, guys! <laughs> yeah, Batman's cool. I was uh, more of a Batman Returns guy. Because I remember having a Batman-themed birthday party for Batman Returns. But, I mean, at that point, I was a little bit older. I was a little <laughs> bit too young for the first Batman. I was too busy, like, falling asleep, I guess. <laughs> I'll wait till you get to the cast to talk about Bob Goon, but we can. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so the, the him getting a portion of the film's earnings and the merchandise is, like, the, the still, to this day, like, the biggest payout for an actor ever. 
even more than uh, Downey Jr. in the recent Iron Man? Because didn't he get like thirty-five million? I don't, yeah, I, th- I think his what Jack Nicholson ended up bringing home from this was like sixty million. Oh my god! No wonder yeah. he didn't do shit after this. <laughs> he was yeah. He's like, all right, time to get fat and really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jack Nicholson. <laughs> he's like Scorsese can tell. Call me in ten years. Yeah. The thing about Jack Nicholson is if anything like crazy Me Too type shit comes out about him, I'll absolutely believe real. it. Yeah, yeah, no one no one, yeah. But until it does, I, I think he's fucking great. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, there's a little moment where like he clapped way too hard for Roman Polanski at the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> that happened at his house. Exactly. <laughs> he wasn't home at the time though. I mean that doesn't make any better. Like I know, you right? sit down when that when he wins for that shit. Well, it's like <laughs> Also, I mean, obviously there wasn't texting back then, but his plan is he shoots some of the text like, hey, caught this young girl, I'm going to drug you, can I use your house? <laughs> obviously that's not what happened because yeah, texting didn't exist. And, uh, fucking yeah, you sent him a telegram. Jack Nicholson was like in another country at the time, <laughs> but you know, whatever, Hollywood's weird. Yeah, Jack, stop. <laughs> caught I, I this guess, girl, stop. I guess to be honest about it, uh, I don't love Jack Nicholson because of the the seemingly like threat that he is a predator. So he kind of does suck, but it's fun to like enjoy him in film, I guess is what I'll say. <laughs> uh, of his role as the Joker, um, Jack Nicholson said, the thing I like about the Joker is that his sense of humor is completely tasteless. He later said that the Joker was one of his favorite roles he played. He does a really good job. I mean, the thing is, like, he's still Jack Nicholson because Jack Nicholson's always Jack Nicholson. But Jack Nicholson makes a good Joker. Yeah. Like, that's kind of who you see the Joker as. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Mark Hamill, he dubs. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of doing a Jack Nicholson a little bit. but I don't think he is. Yeah, he's still my favorite Joker. Mark Hamill, the, the voices, anyways. Yeah, well, the Joker in the Batman animated series is the best Joker. Ugh. Like even I, when I read comic books now, I, I hear the jo- I hear Mark Hamill's voice when I read Joker. Yeah, and the thing is, Mark Hamill is playing a character that when he does the Joker. Jack Nicholson, it just kind of happens to be fall in line with what the Joker is. <laughs> yeah, no, Mark Hamill's not a crazy person. Yeah, Mark Hamill's a little bit too nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I guess that's another thing that the animated series, like the voice of Batman, is Kevin Conroy, right? That's yeah. the be- that's the best no, Batman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mark Hamill's the best Joker. And it's the animated series. It's great. It's, I've been watching it all week. Got a um, they remastered it recently. Oh, did you get yeah, the, the, the DC, DC universe? universe. Yeah, because oh, you, you get free for fourteen days. So I've been watching the animated series, and uh, it's really good. This is the best piece of uh, Batman media entertainment there is. And I, I like the video game adaptations, the Arkham Knight series. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only really good one is Arkham Asylum. The other two are just okay. Yeah, actually, I've beaten the first two. I got bored with Arkham Knight because I didn't like all the Batmobile stuff. And um, yeah, Arkham Asylum is better than Arkham City. Yeah, it turns out better. like the more linear nature just works better for Batman. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of, I, I know I complained about um, the linear. I don't know if I specifically mentioned the linear storytelling and the linear gameplay aspects of Last of Us Two, but at the start of the game, uh, the, the difference here is uh, Arkham Asylum is uh, fun to play, so it works as a video. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the, the storyline that's in um, Arkham Asylum, it doesn't try to make you feel bad for having to play a video game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's not a great storyline, but it's service. It's good, right? It's just like a normal, it's, it's like, like a, a long Batman animated series episode. Yeah, it's like a big um, Batman series episode that has like a lot of villains in it. 
I don't know. I was going to say this at the end, but uh, Mask of the Phantasm is the best Batman movie ever, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Batman Returns is honestly fucking up there. I recommend everyone go watch Batman Returns. It is, like, not super self-serious, like the Nolan trilogy that everyone kind of, like, hell... I, 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 admittedly, I was under, like, the spell of the Nolan trilogy when it came out. I was psyched to see The Dark Knight. And, I like, mean, Dark Knight... How Rise is not great, but the Dark Knight yeah. is good. It's really good. But like, I, it was at the time it was like exciting how serious the material is being taken. But now, like, my relationship with Batman is so much different. Where uh, I the, absolutely prefer the just just the dash of camp that's in the Burton stuff. And also, I mean, fucking, there's a shot in 1989 Batman where it's just Jack Nicholson with a hat on leaning against his car. That looks fucking better than like every shot in the Nolan movies. <laughs> <laughs> the cinematography in '89 is really good. Um, definitely better than Begins and The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, not Master of the Phantasm. Everybody agrees, Master of the Phantasm is the best thing ever Batman Master ever produced. The, Phantasm. the new Batman with the Robert Pattinson. No, I don't care. I mean, we'll see. I'm open to I'm open to it. When I first started to watch um, 89 Batman this week, I was like, I wonder if this will. Uh, already having done a bunch of research about Batman and it causing me to watch the animated series again, I was like, Am I gonna get excited for the new Batman? And then um, no, I still don't give a fuck. <laughs> I think I, I just rather watch the animated series and Batman Returns the rest of my life. <laughs> Ooh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Ooh. Ooh. I guess if I had to rank it, it would be Mask of the Phantasm, right? And then I haven't seen Returns in a while. So there'd probably be Batman 89 is equal to The Dark Knight and then Begins after that. But I'd have to watch Returns. And then like the Shoemaker ones are, I don't know. I have a soft nostalgia spot for Batman Forever. Right. I can absolutely admit it's like not good. (laughs) <laughs> just because well, Jim Carrey's so crazy in it and, and Tom Lee Jones is like, you know what? I'm going to do it too. Well, and also like the costume design, the set design and stuff in it, it still is really cool, but that's just because it's like they're copying Tim Burton anyways, you know? And then they go off the rails and Batman and Robin. But apparently Joel Schumacher is great to work for. He seems like he would be. He's like a, a campy person in real life. It'd be fun to hang out with him. I mean, he made the, the Lost Boys, so... I can't be too mad at him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he died so, recently. So rest in peace, Joel oh, Schumacher. Oh, yeah, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher. Uh, I was watching a, um, <clears throat> a video essay on YouTube that someone had done about like the uh, queer coding in Lost Boys, and I was like, hmm, I get it. <laughs> <clears throat> Made it, uh, another layer to the Lost Boys, which I guess I'll watch again tonight so I can <laughs> see more queer stuff. I like the, the, the uh, term queer coding. Uh yeah, um, it's from I guess you're probably familiar with you know the the Hayes uh, Commission back in the early days of yeah film? yeah <laughs> yeah so I guess for listening audience it was before the MPAA there was the Hayes Commission or the Hayes uh, <clears throat> I forget how it's phrased but basically so you got to follow these goddamn rules and it's like uh, you know don't no leftist politics no communism you dirty commies yeah definitely no like homosexual no boobies stuff, no nothing any close blah, to boobies. Blah, blah, blah. So, no gay shit. <laughs> um, That's the, yeah, the industry. No commies, no no boobies, no gay shit. Yeah, but at the time, the entertainment industry at that time and throughout the history of time, of course, the most people in the entertainment industry were left wing. They were um, of different sexual and gender preferences, et cetera, et cetera. So they would just slip in um, subtext to a lot of the stories. So like the Brighter Frankenstein is like a gay story, you know. So things are queer coded. 
And that's where all it comes from. I mentioned earlier, Joker's queer coded <clears throat> in the comic books and the cartoon and shit too. Um, well, I think with the Joker, it might be unintentional or it's definitely not in, in from good intentions or good tastes, the way Joker's queer coded. But we, we do a whole podcast about that. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, according to Michael Keaton, his background in comedy proved useful in playing Batman because it gave him instincts in how to shape scenes and build dimension into his character. For example, okay, that's come on, that's <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, 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 um, Michael Keaton's actually like hella cool as Bruce Wayne, and then aside from not Batman not being able to turn his head, like he doesn't look that bad as Batman either. Yeah, like, you know, one hundred percent. The problem with this movie is Batman's costume design is fucking god awful. It's just so bland and like plasticine and yeah <laughs> man did you i mean like you they borrowed some from the batman uh the 60s batman show so like just take that costume a little bit and make it cooler yeah i think that is the problem is they didn't need to go with like plastic armor exactly yeah like then, straight when he shows up the first time and he gets shot and falls down it's kind of like i kind of laugh yeah <laughs> and then uh, i guess that further lends um credence to my uh theory that uh, basically everyone's copying this period of Batman though because Batman wearing armor in this movie led to Batman wearing armor in the comics and every other fucking movie they make. Well I mean no because then Dark Knight Returns he's wearing armor remember? Oh, he's wearing like special uh, kryptonite gloves and stuff Oh, and no he, his chest armor he has chest armor on remember it's specifically under his, his uh, symbol that's like the whole impetus of the Oh shit. yeah you're right yeah but I mean um yeah, I know what kind of you I mean. They kind of make like, it more techy after this. Yeah, where it's like, oh, well, you know, he can't just be wearing tights, which I, that... And they go back to it, though. I mean, they, they've gone back to him just wearing tights, basically. Which is good, because um, I know, obviously, it is much more realistic for the character as a regular person to like, be wearing, like, full-scale body yeah. armor. But, the like, the silhouettes and the lines for Batman when he is just wearing ostensibly tights, I think it, it looks a lot cooler. I don't know how it would look in a movie, exactly. But in, in the comic itself, I like the line work a lot more when he's in tights. Yeah, me too. I feel like you can kind of get away with some light armor, maybe. But what? I mean, you would probably want to wear a helmet. Robert Patterson shit? They did, I think. I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it yet. I know. I saw the Batmobile. Yeah. I, cool. I just like, I'm not, I'm still really into movies because movies are my favorite thing. I just like don't care about new movies anymore. <laughs> I'm just going to live in the past. I'm just going to watch Casablanca. <laughs> no, that's too old. <laughs> I don't care about like that stuffy old 50s anti-communist shit. <laughs> I only want to watch goddamn queer-coded 80s slasher movies. I watch Nightmare on Elm Street 2 nonstop. Uh, with regards to Michael Keaton uh, and his, uh, his uh, comedic chops, uh, the example given is in the scene where uh, Vicky Vale and Bruce Wayne are having dinner, Keaton suggested that they be seated far apart at the very long table. <laughs> And his line of dialogue, I don't think I've been in this room before. It was improvised. <laughs> <clears throat> and another interesting example is uh, he came up with the idea of uh, Bruce hanging like a bat after sleeping with Vicky. He's quoted as saying, it makes all the other stuff even weirder and darker <laughs> because you're thinking, this guy's off. Which I think that's an interesting element um, that's brought into this movie. It's explored a little bit in some of the comics beforehand and it's definitely gone further. It's like, well... Uh, Batman or Bruce Wayne is also kind of a crazy person too, right? I mean, like there's kind of I don't it's think the mythology do. is just not as dangerous. Yeah, that's kind of what it is, right? Well, I don't think that anybody's on, really uh, yeah. explained it or really explored it well in comic books that I I've seen um, necessarily. But uh, Watchmen kind of does it when you by splitting it up a little bit. I mean, they're really just taking um, 
the question in Blue Beetle, but in on some respects, it's like the two halves of, of Batman. Batman. Yeah, you Rashok and Nido. Right, and like yeah. they only work well. I, I think some people have explored Batman in interesting his pathology in interesting ways. It's just it always goes to the um, most extreme, like fascist conclusion of Batman, right? Which and is like definitely there, but it's that's not the entirety of Batman as a character, right? Like that, and I feel like it's the, it's the come, become the joke of Batman is the fascist, but in some ways, yeah. Batman like believes in like rehabilitation and like you know making a society better. You know what I mean? He's not yeah. executing people on the street. Like no one, Joker is still alive after all this shit. Problem is though, is like at the root of his, or the root of any vigilantism, right? Is oh, I am the arbiter of justice. It's, well, no, that only works on the streets, Batman. And well, Batman that, is that, the streets. That, that, what I, that I mean is gang violence, because you all kind of decided <laughs> on the rules. You didn't. You weren't consciously designing, deciding on the rules, but everyone kind of knows. It's like the, an implicit <laughs> contract. It's the only time that it works. <laughs> There's a, a lot more pressure from society for Batman to do good than the police. <laughs> <laughs> Shockingly. Yeah, the, well, I guess not you know, society, gonna, but I mean, uh, the government uh, the government <laughs> of a city is, they're much more upset with Batman than they are with <laughs> it's, it's strange. I've been um, going back and reading, or not reading, but listening to um, Stephen Fry uh, read Sherlock Holmes while I'm doing my at-home work. Yeah. And uh, um, it's funny to me just how much Sherlock Holmes is like, the police are useless idiots. It's because they are. That's the thing is, uh, with regards to abolishing the police and stuff, a detective can still be a job. Like, the, we might still need detectives in a regular society. But the, the thing is, most cops aren't detectives. <laughs> and uh, the detectives that we do have in the police force, they're not fucking good at their job. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no. If you look at the closure rates, uh, they've actually gone down since this, um, what the eighties. Are you saying that we might have another rise in serial killings, or are oh. you saying we're actually having serial killings take place all the time now? They're just not being uh, uh, handled at all. I don't even know if it's serial killings necessarily. I just don't know that they're investigating shit. You know, it's hard to tell. Well, yeah, that's the thing is because they're not because um, they're not doing any you know real police work. That's the thing is you you can always like kind of like upset people with with regards to being killed is um if you if you're killed by someone who doesn't know you and there's not a clear motive they're gonna get away with it yeah oh well one hundred percent the police yeah, are kind yeah. of good at, at solving crimes when the the person involved is someone you know when it's someone that you don't know you better hope they like fucking ejaculate on the scene and there's a and they're in a database somewhere. No, they they have to wait around at the crime scene and like re- admit on tape that they did it. <laughs> well, did you hear the fucking Golden State Killer? You hear that shit that they've like uh, they may have broken the evidence chain. Yeah, fucking idiots. Yeah, they're useless. <laughs> we don't need them. That's the Boston police. We don't need them. They don't do shit. They make shit worse. Get rid of them. We're out here just fucking killing innocent people out on the streets, killing our people. We can do it ourselves. Use that in Minneapolis. <laughs> we can right? do it ourselves. We need a Batman on the streets. No, we don't need a Batman. But um, so in Minneapolis, those two girls disappeared. Um, they found out that they were at this random house that's uh, somehow associated with the person who's been um, Kim, uh, who's had a previous crimes involving a, a sexual assault, right? Um, the community lets the police know. The police just kind of meander around, don't do anything, don't go in, blah, blah, blah. The, the community somehow figure out what's going on and follow like a bread trail from that house to other houses in the area that are all involved in like this uh, 
sex trafficking train. It's all the community figuring out. They call the cops. They're trying to get the cops to do something. The cops don't do anything. So members of the community go in to rescue the girls and two other kids that were being held there and burn the shit down. We can do it. We don't need the cops. The cops don't want to do it. The cops yeah. are probably involved in the sex trafficking. We can do it. The community can do it. That's some Batman shit, though. That's vigilante justice. No, it's uh, mob justice. <laughs> That's the same shit. I, if if you, everyone agrees on it collectively, everyone, you know, everyone, everyone, <laughs> That's not always a good idea, though. You know what I mean? Like sometimes mob, they, mobs get a shit, man. That's a lot of black people are hung by mobs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, like, oof. maybe yeah, let's. I gotta be careful about this mob shit. Nah, it's it comes when it comes down to it. Community society working together, community can handle their own shit. Don't need cops. We don't need outside arbiters of justice. Or not even justice. <laughs> outside no, arbiters sometimes of violence. violence. Again, like, I don't know, I think the back to like, I mean, it's obviously not as huge a problem as it used to be, but there's still black people getting hung. What is it, up to four now? Or five? Yeah, and like, the cops say they're all suicides, so cops are right, right. <laughs> uh, So but, fuck the cops. But like, there's all these um, communities in the South that were hanging black people um, and are you saying you trust them to police themselves? You know oh, I, mean? no, I, I don't uh, believe I mean, necessarily be all these communities are great at policing themselves. No, no. I, the larger community as a whole will uh, will abolish those people too. Yeah. Some people are maybe going up, some people are going up against the wall. That's all there is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I guess we'll get back to the movie. I, I think it's fitting that um, as much as like I've talked shit about comic book movies and comic books and blah blah blah. This is absolutely going to be the longest episode of the podcast ever. I know, fucking crazy. We're already at almost two hours. This is your fault. Uh, Michael Keaton, I think he is good. I was prepared to dance with the devil at midnight. <laughs> I thought, all right, so I went on a roller coaster with that line. Because when Joker first says it, it's just like, what the fuck? This is the cheesiest shit ever. And then he says it to a little kid. But then he says it again in the, um, yeah, when he kills Bruce's parents. And it's still like the stupidest line ever, but it's like, okay, they needed, at least they, um, had a way of letting us know that Jack Napier Joker is the one who killed Bruce's parents without it being like super in your face, like Batman going, Oh man, he killed my parents. But you know <laughs> what I mean? There's a little bit more to it. So I was like, all right, I see why they put it in there. Connects things a little bit. And then finally, when, uh, Batman shows up at the end of the cathedral and he's like, excuse me, sir, have you ever danced with the devil at midnight to the Joker? It was the funniest shit ever. And I was like, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's the rule of threes, Kyle. Yeah. No, it's like, yeah, this movie's great. Yeah, Tim Burton knows what he's doing. Except for in that case, it would be Sam Hamm knows what he's doing. Because that's the man who wrote the screenplay. Sam, Sam Hamm. Sam Hamm. Sam Hamm um, doesn't know what he's doing because I, I, that's the one of the things I hate about the script is that it's the Joker that killed Batman's parents. I, I think you I get why they did it for a movie. Yeah, I get why they did it for a movie, but I don't know. As far as like thematically for Batman, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, just the way the movie operates, the way movies operate in general, it, it adds to the um, duplicitous direct conflict between Joker and Batman. You know what I mean? It's just like primary motivation for Batman tied all together. It's just, I don't know. It, like, yeah, it doesn't fit with Batman at all, but it's. It's movie shit, you know what I mean? That's how you write movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Michael Keaton is good Bruce Wayne, a pretty good Batman. He can't turn his head, though. Yeah, not um, his fault. He didn't design that costume. People who've been on the internet for the last uh, 
existence of the internet the last uh, 25 years or so mm-hmm. we'll be familiar with anytime someone is cast for a superhero movie everyone gets mad uh, <laughs> yeah it started with michael keaton yeah they're doing that before the internet well the internet existed this time it just wasn't consumer internet so in yeah. uh 1988 outdoor talking science shit yeah in 1988 when uh, michael keaton was cast as batman uh, everyone was fucking pissed because they're like, fucking that's Beetlejuice. This, this fucking tiny ass Beetlejuice. <laughs> it's fucking Beetlejuice. What's he, what he going to do? But everyone ended up liking him because he does a pretty good job. And he's like Michael Keaton. Like That's Michael Keaton's whole thing is he's like, cares about Oh, here's a, uh, since we're talking Batman, their rumor I read is that they're talking about casting him as Batman or Bruce Wayne in the Flashpoint movie that's coming out. Oh. I saw someone the other day was like, they should make the new Batman movie, Batman Beyond. Robert Pattinson can be Terry McGinnis, and then Michael Keaton can be Batman. And I was like, oh, holy shit, good. I'm into that. Uh, he seems more like a Terry McGinnis than a Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure none of them will be good. Warner Brothers doesn't know how to do shit. Yeah. Um, if I was doing a Flashpoint movie, it would have Michael Rosenbaum in it playing uh, Wally West from the DC Universe. Wally West, um, the guy that played Lex Luthor in Smallville. Yeah, and Flash in the in the DC Animated Universe. Yeah. Oh, uh, that reminds me. <clears throat> uh, back in the I have night, no idea who this is. I want to bring this up about how shitty uh, the comic book industry is again. <laughs> uh, back in uh, 94 or so, I believe it was, uh, uh, Warner Brothers secured a deal for the Lois and Clark TV show. Uh-huh. Right? So... Uh, they wanted to like the, the the show to culminate with Lois and Clark having a wedding, or like I think that's like how the show started, right? I don't know. I didn't watch it. Well, whatever it is, is um the the writing staff, the editorial and writing staff for Superman, the comic book, had been working on um something like an eighteen month long series arc that was going to culminate with uh uh Superman and Lois Lane getting married, Clark Kent and Lois Lane getting married. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had to the uh, the editorial team, the who, powers that be at DC came in and said, "No, you got to throw that shit out because it needs to line up with Lois and Clark, this TV show that no one's gonna watch." And uh, so the editor and or the head writer for the Superman books said, uh, "Fuck that, let's kill Superman." <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where the death of Superman came from. <laughs> that's art. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that really is like man. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. He's dead now. That's a fucking Jim Morrison response. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Morrison. I was, uh, a few weeks ago, I was trying to get back into the doors. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough task. I just, like, per- don't listen to any of the words Jim Morrison says. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck yeah, the doors rule. I love, like, the dirty beach, like, psychedelic sounds. And uh, they, the doors had a major influence on, like, a lot of early punk bands, so you can kind of hear it. Yeah. But Jim Morrison just fucking he's not a good poet. <laughs> he's <just laughs> dumb as shit. The, the, the some of the vocal melodies and arrangements that are within the song sound good. It's just you just can't pay attention to anything he says. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not gonna argue with you. You're absolutely right. Call yeah. it. <laughs> um oh we got Scott Kim Basinger. She's so baby. Yeah, it looks um, very similar uh, to my ex-girlfriend's uh, sister, younger sister. Yeah, I don't, I don't really like him. I don't really like blondes. Oh, uh, I think she's cool because she's got curly hair. Yeah. Curly hair. Um, yeah, she's cool. I like her. Kim Basinger was the original choice to play Vicky Vale, but her agents wouldn't let producer uh, John Peters meet with her unless he made it an offer, and then she ended up being busy. 
So Sean Young of Blade Runner fame was going to be cast as Vicky Vale. <sighs> but Sean Young broke her collarbone while practicing horseback riding for a scene set on the grounds of Wayne Manor and had to drop Damn out it. of the movie. Damn it. Basing her came back in. I actually would prefer John Young. Um, I don't know. I like Kim Basinger in this movie. She's no Michelle Pfeiffer, but she is Kim Basinger. To this day, whenever I read a Batman comic book and uh, Vicky Vale's in it, and it's always like a quick, like, oh, she's a news reporter, and she's like in one um, panel. I'm like, yeah, you're a Batman 89 fan, huh? Batman, she's from the comic book. She has red hair in the comics. I know, but I'm like, no one remembers her from the comic books. Oh. We have uh, one of our mom's favorite actors, and by favorite actors, I mean my mom. One of our mom's like fantasy slam pieces. <laughs> oh, Billy D. <laughs> Billy D. Williams. <laughs> Billy D. It's me, Billy D. He plays Harvey I'm Dent. A, I'm <clears throat> here to sell you some malt liquor. Oh nope, I'm I'm Harvey Dent. I'm gonna be Two Face in the third <laughs> one, right? Nope. All right. I'm going home. <laughs> Fuck you, man. Had Tim Burton not had the falling out with Warner Brothers, uh, he would have gone on to play Two Face in the third Batman movie. God be, damn it. Fuck you, Tim Burton. He became Batman forever. Now that's more of a fuck you, Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's, uh, uh, Billy D doesn't need it. <laughs> yeah. So our mom loves Billy D and Sam Elliott. She loves mustaches. <laughs> that's like the only connection. Two distinct, but yeah, it is a two distinct mustaches. Tissue, not even really know. similar mustaches. It's also their voices, I think. Because mm, yeah. like one time I was watching the Oscars with mom, like fairly recently in the last two few years or so, and uh, Captain America, um, what's his name, Chris Evans? Uh-huh. He stepped up to the microphone and started talking, and mom was like, "Who's that? I love his voice." So um, mm. when that happened, I was like, huh, our mom's into dude's voices or something. If only he had a mustache. Uh, yeah. That's it. A mustache and a nice voice. Yeah. I mean, Samuel and Billy D. Two great mustaches, two great voices. Yeah. Uh, also in this movie is Robert Wool, who's uh, one, another one of the famous that guy. Oh, it's that guy. But he does have one very famous that guy credit to his name. It's HBO's first series, Arliss. Right? Isn't that HBO's first original series? Arliss? Uh, I'm going to go with yeah, but I don't know. I think it is. He's Arliss. It's weird <laughs> that he's 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 got thinning hair in this movie, but he's got more thinning hair than he does in most of the things I remember him from. Hmm. Hair plugs. Yeah, he plays uh, Knox, the, the reporter, who is a very good side character in the movie. He's got some good jokes. Yeah, he's interesting, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the casting in this movie is really good. The only thing I don't like is um, Alfred's not that good. And then um, Alfred's acceptable. It's not that bad. He's just a little bit too old for my taste. And then Commissioner Gordon fucking sucks. Yeah, what the fuck? Commissioner Gordon makes no sense in this movie. I like that he still um, it enforces the idea that all cops are incompetent because they have an incompetent uh, Commissioner Gordon in it. But, I mean, true to the character, Commissioner Gordon's kind of, like, supposed to be, um, you know, smart, kind of knows what's going on. <laughs> like the, the only good cop in Gotham. Yeah. But, I mean, the whole kind of the whole point of, with, with Batman originally, too, is when he starts out, Gordon isn't, well, I mean, if we go back to the original Batman, he Gordon was always the commissioner. commissioner yeah, but, but year one, Gordon's uh, nobody. Yeah. Yeah, the new Batman trilogy. The Batman as it's written now. I mean, if you want to go back to the Batman as written in the twenties, he kills people. But <laughs> <laughs> it's I've got a gun. <laughs> well, at one point, he kicks a dude and breaks his neck. Hell yeah! I don't have a problem with Batman killing. 
Well, I mean, I do like if you think about it, it felt. Yeah, no, I, stuff, you got to think about it all the way through. I have a problem with that. <laughs> but I mean, like in the confines of it being a fictional world, I don't care. If sometimes Batman's got to kill. Sometimes a man's got to kill. Sometimes a woman's got to kill. Sometimes non-binary people got to kill. Killing's just a part of life. Sometimes the cops got to kill. No, cops don't ever have to kill. Cops <laughs> get killed. <laughs> uh, as mentioned previously, this film was written by Sam Ham. Sam Ham. Uh, he wrote uh, Batman. Batman returns. And he's then he dusted off his palms and said, "Oh, that'll do it," because <laughs> he was probably a billionaire. <laughs> He's like, yeah. if Tim Burrow was going back for three, I would have done it, but eh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, after Burton was hired uh, as director in 86, the producers, Englehart and Julie Hickson, wrote a film treatment, and then Sam Hamm stepped in, did the screenplay. <laughs> I'll fill in the words. <laughs> no, they just did a story treatment, which is like <laughs> shit producers do all the time, where they're yeah, like, uh, it'll yeah. be Batman will be in it and the Joker. Riot, please. <laughs> Can we get credits for story treatment? Uh, Ham decided not to use an origin story, feeling that flashbacks would be more suitable and that unlocking the mystery would become part of the storyline. He reasoned, you totally destroy your credibility if you show the literal literal process by which Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. And uh, take that, Christopher Nolan and Frank Miller. Uh, we also, uh, of course, we can see it worked fabulously in, in Batman vs Superman. Batman vs Superman. I, I mean, that's all about how you present it. Um, yeah, so if it's written well, it's written well. That's kind yeah. of all there is to it. Uh, of course, Danny Elfman is doing here doing the soundtrack. At this point, Danny Elfman's basically just uh, the guitarist in Oingo Boingo. <laughs> well, but, he'll go on to write some of the most famous cinematic scores of all time. So. Yeah, and the Simpsons theme song. Yeah. Uh, so he had at this point done the score for Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. Obviously, those are Danny Elfman joints, and then he's gonna go on to do a bunch of Tim Burton stuff after this. But this is like a big step up, uh, and it speaks to the power or like the faith or just the general. Yeah, I'll say the power and creative intensity of Tim Burton, where he's like, "Fuck you, Warner Brothers! I'm bringing on my friend who plays guitar and makes goofy music." Uh, for inspiration, though, Elfman was given. The Dark Knight Returns. And Elfman was worried at the time as he had never worked on a production this large in budget and scale. But then uh, I believe the Batman scores considered were like one of the greatest scores of all time, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And then I mean, course, the Batman animated series, they uh, hire, what, his assistant producer to do the score? Yep. Uh, the theme song is the Batman, oh, yeah, theme, it's Batman theme. But then the music in the series is, uh, yeah, his assistant basically expanding upon what he did for the movie uh, i don't want to say copying Elf- danny elfman because that's not what she's doing at all i can't remember what her name is but she's just you know like working within the confines of like the themes he established and creating more music it's much different than just doing like an impersonation of danny elfman and uh we gotta also of course talk about cinematographer here robert pratt um he's uh he did the cinematography for Brazil and he will later go on to do 12 monkeys. So he likes Terry Gilliam. <laughs> oh, does he still like Terry Gilliam? I don't know. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I just don't know. Uh, like I said, yeah, there's shots in this movie where it's uh, Christopher Nolan. What is you doing? What are <laughs> you doing? Christopher Nolan? Why is everything gotta be gray? Uh, I'm going to make tenant. Hold on. It's going to be the first <laughs> theater movie in theaters. <laughs> I doubt that. 
<laughs> this is uh, it's actually going to be in the history books it's going to be what was the last movie in theaters and it'll be the hunt that that one movie that just came out before the uh everyone quarantines <laughs> you gotta be a fucking idiot to go back to the movies well there's tons of idiots in the united states though so no nah, yeah they're so. gonna do it they're gonna try um school released their their uh, back to school plan yeah yeah what is it basically we basically go back to school that's it it's not like uh all right two kids go to class between uh no. 8 15 and 8 45 then they switch in two to other kids basically the only uh changes are um the kids won't switch classrooms so if they they don't really have recess they just go back to their wait no they do have recesses but it's by class and lunch you go back to your classroom to eat Oh, so their thinking is like, well, I mean, maybe we'll just lose one entire class of kids. Uh, yeah, I guess. And like, no one has to wear masks. No masks are not required. Yeah. I, I can really, I think things are really going to work out for the United States in the next few months. Mm-hmm. Things are looking good. I'm excited about it. Not worried. I don't, I don't see any problem. Death, cult, death, cult, death, cult. Obviously, the film takes place early in Batman's war on crime. And it's the first time he meets the Joker, baby. The Joker, of course, is Batman's first villain in the comic books. In the movies, I guess technically he's his first villain, but first we see uh, Batman. Is he technically the first villain in the comic books? I mean, I guess he's the first supervillain. Almost oh, like the Mad well, Monk. The Joker shows up in like the second issue, doesn't he? I think he's like five, but I think he oh. fight, like, there's like the Mad Monk and shit before that. It, I mean, yeah, like, no characters that no gun. one remembers. Yeah. <laughs> it shoots them all with a gun. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Blammo! Oh, I was gonna say, uh, yeah. So this, this presumably the Joker is the first like villain Batman's facing within the, the the movie universe as well. But it seems like he's been operating for a while. But all we see before he starts fighting the Joker is, uh, yeah, I get that the those two guys like mugged a family, but one of them clearly looked like he was just like a drug addict and probably needed rehabilitation and not to get beat <laughs> up by Batman. <laughs> but that just goes into it. Like, I don't know if Batman always knows if, what he's doing or if he's doing the right thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, honestly, the modern, more modern representation to Batman, he's not really beating up a lot of muggers. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is, I mean, it's funny because um, <laughs> this podcast is going to be so long, but uh, just a tangent. We have a real world example of uh, what like superhero vigilantism, vigilantism would look like and the type of people that would want to commit it. Uh, there's, of course, like the, the sandwich, people hand out sandwiches and help with like fundraisers and shit. That, that trend of like fake superheroes you know like a decade ago uh-huh. but the the specific one of note is um fucking was it phoenix jones remember the guy the oh, guy that, that was dude. he yeah. was known for beating up drunks and um arresting or giving drug addicts to the police and just causing nothing but trouble and then it turns out he was actually a drug dealer and a spousal abuser and shit like that and he just seemed to be concerned with having power over people because he's a <laughs> psychopath. Yeah. Watchmen was right. <laughs> no, no. They're all, guys are all heroes. I saw a game in the last Watchmen. Yeah. Um, as we alluded to previously, and people alive in a time period will know, and I guess people in general, just because of the staying power of the Batman film, uh, it was a f- fucking roaring success. Made $400 million in box office totals, which is like, uh, that's still adjusted for today that's like still like marvel numbers right no that's a lot of money yeah at the time it was the fifth highest grossing film in the history of cinema uh, and surprisingly enough batman he got some awards 
uh, Golden Globes mostly. But <laughs> <laughs> Not real awards, but yeah, it got the best direction at, at the Oscars, so that's pretty cool. Uh, here's a quote from um, Mr. Tim Burton, which I think kind of encapsulates what's cool about this movie and what's cool about Tim Burton having done it. It says, I was never a giant comic book fan, but I've always loved the image of Batman and the Joker. The reason I've never been a comic book fan, and I think it started when I was a child, is because I could never tell which box I was supposed to read. I don't know if it was because of dyslexia, but that's why I love The Killing Joke, because for the first time, I could tell which one to read. It's my favorite. It's the first comic I've ever loved. The success of those graphic novels made our ideas more acceptable. Basically, um, what I spent two hours of the podcast saying is uh, <laughs> the comic books that came out in the 80s allowed Tim Burton to make this movie, which allowed the animated series to exist, which is why everyone was Batman. Thank you and good night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, what do we watch next week? Uh, no, we're still not actually done talking about okay. that. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Warner Brothers was actually pretty sus about moving forward with the, making the movie. They liked the uh, screenplay that they got from Ham, and the, the, they got a lot of good f- feedback, but they're like, eh, I don't know what to do. So because of that, the screenplay that Ham wrote apparently was bootlegged and sold at various comic book stores in the United States, which I was not aware of. It's pretty interesting. No, I knew that. Oh, cool. And yeah, so but they did finally go into pre-production in '88 after getting the green light, and it it's a little bit to different too, if I remember correctly. I think I read it at one point. Oh yeah, there's rewrites that took place on set, which weren't done by Sam Ham because, uh, as I mentioned previously about The Last of Us, uh, uh, labor in the film industry is generally unionized. Uh, Sam Ham was a member of the Writers Guild; so they're on strike during the filming, so he is not a scab, so he wouldn't come in to do any rewrites. So unfortunately, though. That meant like the producers rewrote some shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, then uh, comic book fans found out it, fucking Tim Burton is directing this shit and Michael Keaton's gonna be in it. They're like, oh my garbage. god, it's gonna be like fucking. It should be Steven Spielberg and Clint Eastwood. Yeah, it should be James Cameron and Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, Leonardo Cap- no one knew who Leonardo DiCaprio was anyway. Yeah, but he's like don't... fucking on growing pains. I remember when that that was the, like the dream team for uh, Spider Man. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, before the Tobey Maguire Sam Raimi Spider-Man came out, this was like in Wizard Magazine and shit. They're always like James oh, Cameron. Yeah. Wiz- Wizard Magazine always had the weirdest casting calls. Remember that? Yeah. Somewhere. Mine is uh, Michael J. Fox and Steven Spielberg. It's my Spider ideal Spider-Man, circa 1984. Oh, you're the one that pointed out to me that um, new Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, what's his face? He's just he doing, is a just doing Michael doing, J. Fox. He is just doing a Marty McFly anyway. So. Yeah. I think it's close, but not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sam Ham explains they hear Tim Burton's name and they think of Pee Wee's Big Adventure they hear Keaton's name and they think of any number of Michael Keaton comedies you think of the 1960s version of Batman and it was the complete opposite of our film we tried to market it with a typical dark and serious tone the fans didn't believe us uh, to combat negative reports on the film however Bob Kane was hired as creative consultant no, yeah, he was gonna Bob be out there. Hey, don't worry, guys. It's, we got the man from Night Shift. He's gonna be great. He came in there and he was like, "I'm fucking a hundred years old. Uh, Batman's gonna have two guns." And then uh, Batman's co-creator, Bill Finger, as mentioned previously, he was uh, uncredited at the time of the film's release, and his film his name was not added to any Batman-related media until 2016. So I guess you can thank um, Batman and Superman for that. Because that was the first time he's credited. 
All right, uh, this is getting a bit long in the tooth, as they say. We're going to try to rush through a few more things real quick and then just talk about how cool Batman 1989 is. Um, so first thing, I, I do want to quickly mention Anton first, who is the uh, head of the art department, who deliberately makes clashing architectural styles to make Gotham City the ugliest and bleakest metropolis imaginable. Uh, first quote is quoted here saying, we imagine what New York City might have become without a planning commission, a city run by crime with a riot of architectural styles, an essay in ugliness, as if hell erupted through the pavement and kept on going. That's fucking a badass quote. Um, they did uh, vi- like realize that vision in the film, I feel like, but it's I, obviously he's just talking about set design in a movie, but that's got a lot of real poetry to it. So, yeah, that was a... Uh, <laughs> It chills on my spine. Um, and then they'll, they'll make it real campy for the Batman and Robin. Yeah, I mean, you know, mess it up a little bit. Joel Schumacher was a, fan, a big fan of the 60s Batman, so he wanted to incorporate a little bit more of that. Which, I'm, I, it, you know, when you get down to it, it's part of Batman's history. <laughs> uh, big inspiration, of course, uh, is also Brazil by Terry, the Terry Gilliam film. Oh, yeah, you saw a lot. Yeah. Um, so Batman conveys trademarks found in 1930s pulp magazines, notably the design of Gotham City, stylized with art de- deco designs. Um, Richard Corliss, writing for the time, observed that Gotham's design was a reference to films such as The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Metropolis, uh, which um, Batman Returns, um, Eve, like much, much, much more German expressionism and uh, brutalism and uh, maybe even like fascist architecture to a lot of the environments so the way Gotham is realized in Batman returns is um, it's not much different than Batman 1989, but it's like the full realization of what they were going for. I think basically Batman returns is 1989 Batman, but everything is just slightly better. Plus Danny DeVito and Danny DeVito's and he's their number one son, but they treated him like number two. That's doo-doo. And he's got that cool speech where he's arming all the penguins. <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Returns also is uh, strays a little bit even further from, I guess, what you would say is, like, canon to Batman, right? You know, it's yeah. a little bit weirder. But same thing as this one where, like, the changes they make are, like, so are, like, just the right amount of, like, camp for me personally where I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Which is crazy because I remember. No, like I, I said, I kind of like the what they do with Penguin. I don't know that I like what they do with with Catwoman making her like a, some sort of like cat zombie idol god zombie. Yeah, I don't. I think it's cool because she's just like the spirit of vengeance. She's a ghostwriter, but Catwoman, <laughs> and she's got a whip, and it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, speaking of like hella sexy stuff, uh, the uh, producers John Peters and Peter Gruber wanted Prince to write music for the Joker. And Michael Jackson to do the romance songs. Oof. And then Elfman would then combine the style of Prince and Jackson songs together for the entire film score. Obviously, wow, the, weird as shit. Yeah, this didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so Burton protested the idea, citing, My movies aren't commercial like Top Gun. Ooh. Ooh. So he didn't want to use the Prince soundtrack in the movie. Take that, Kenny Loggins. So Batman is one of the first films to spawn two soundtracks, which one of them is the score, and the other one is a bunch of songs written by Prince. It's Prince's 11th studio album. It was only recorded in six weeks. He really shot it out there. Yeah, originally um, he was going to reuse uh, 1999, Baby I'm a Star, and some other songs from earlier albums. 
But uh, instead, he recorded an entire album worth of material with uh, Batman samples and lyrics. <laughs> so Prince, he just can't be stopped. <laughs> and yeah, in 2001, Prince revealed that the project was initially supposed to be a collaboration between himself and Michael Jackson. It's quoted as saying, did you know that the album was supposed to be a duet between Michael Jackson and me? He as Batman, me as the Joker. Prince would have sung funk songs for the villains while Michael Jackson would have sung ballads for the heroes. That was so weird. That is like the, the just the perfect like 90s like camp though, you know what I mean? I mean an awful movie, but it would, yeah, it, would, but, it would have been fantastic in hindsight. Yeah, but it would have been like the coolest shit ever when it came out and you could go back and listen to it now and it'll still be good. But it'll have like that weird like '90s goofiness where you're like, mm, you know, this is so enjoyable. But uh, do I feel guilty about listening to it? Not exactly, but I definitely feel weird about it. <laughs> uh, the whole film and mythology of the character is a complete duel of the freaks. It's a fight between two disturbed people, says Tim Burton, adding that the Joker is such a great character because there's a complete freedom to him. Any character who operates on the outside of society and is deemed a freak and an outcast then has the freedom to do what they want. They have the darker sides of freedom. Insanity is in some scary way the most freedom you can have because you're not not bound by the laws of society. Uh, Within this quote is, as I mentioned before, um, my thinking for the accidental queer coding of Joker throughout time is a lot of writers to make uh, Joker as transgressive as possible. They associated with um, other types of sexuality with transgression. So they put elements of it in there in the, uh, maybe not to be completely homophobic in 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 offensive, but associating regular human characteristics with transgressiveness is pretty homophobic and offensive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because their ideas, oh, we'll make him as weird as possible. You know, it's weird. So he's gonna like, butt sex. <laughs> you know, as weird as uh, what if he dresses like a woman? Oh. Bugs Bunny dressed like a woman. Yeah, because Bugs Bunny is trans. Um, at the time, Batman was criticized for by some for being too dark, but nonetheless received positive reviews from critics. Uh, there actually was a lot of complaints that the um, theatrical version oh, the, I can't the see film, it. was too dark, so they did lighten the um, film when they released it on home video. Oh, crazy. So that means every version I've seen since then has been lightened? Uh, I watched like the 25th anniversary Blu-ray, which apparently is the most uh, accurate to the film. Whatever version's on HBO Max, because I signed up for the free trial, is what I watched. Oh, I don't know. It might be the Brighton one. Mine didn't look I definitely too saw dark it in either. theaters. Yeah. I sure did, too. I saw 15 minutes of it, as far <laughs> as I know, then fell asleep for an hour and a half. Um, I'm thinking the reason people... I think what they meant by too dark, though, is thematically, because people, a lot of people are probably just familiar with the 60s show at this point, right? <laughs> Where's Robin? Where's the yeah. Jimmy Jillikers? Why does it say pow? Uh, many Alfred people uh, rightly observed that Burton was more interested in the Joker and the art and set production design than Batman yeah. or anything else in terms of characterization and screen time. I don't care. It looks cool. Joker's cool. Great job, yeah. Tim Burton. Joker's kind of cool. <laughs> he pulls out a big, long gun. And he shoots a plane with it and he falls down. It's badass. <laughs> I mean, the shot where he's pulling out the gun and there's a trail of bullets leading up to him, that is like a really cool shot. It's badass. It's better than um, fucking Nolan's. I think it would have been, be, been better though if he fired and nothing happened. Yeah, that might have been cool too. <laughs> there's this real dramatic scene. He pulls this long gun, <laughs> yeah, fires in this huge shot, and then nothing happens. It doesn't succeed. <laughs> yeah. 
You just you they cut to Batman, and you just hear a ting off the. the <laughs> I like the uh, real like Donald Trump kind of scene leading up to it, where uh, he's like, "Here you go, you stupid assholes. Here's some money, you fucking pigs." Where he's in the parade. <laughs> Goddamn fucking gross ass Gotham pieces of shit, Americans, you fucking pigs. Out of my feet. Yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah, <laughs> strong, um, uh, like uh, banana dictator vibes, I guess. <laughs> and then, of course, there was also, it was originally the script going to turn out that he was giving out uh, counterfeit Joker bucks to the crowd, anyways. Oh, uh, perfect Joker. Even, uh, even more on point. <laughs> Joker books, books. These are Joker bucks, babies. Um, yeah, so even at the time, comic book fans reacted negatively over the Joker murdering Thomas and Martha Wayne. Understandable. Yeah. Uh, I, I also find, I think it's completely understandable that they did it for the movie, too, though. Yeah, I get why you would do it for the movie, um, to make everything wrapped up in a nice little package, because that's kind of what you want in a movie, generally. Yeah. But, ugh. Yeah, I don't know. I, when I look at it as a movie fan, or, you know, someone who, like, critiques I'll, movies on it. Even like, the way they kind of do sense. it. The way they kind of do it, though, with the. <laughs> do you ever dance with the devil at midnight? <laughs> I like that. real heavy handed for me. Yeah, I like the dude they got to stand in for Jack Nicholson, though. Because he like, kind of looks like him, but not really. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're like, maybe you dropped acid on him. <laughs> uh, Sam Hamm said it was Burton's idea to have the Joker murder uh, Bruce Wayne's parents. And uh, he's quote, the writer's strike was going on, and Tim had the others, other writers do that. I also hold innocent to Alfred letting Vicky Vale into the Batcave. Yeah, I think that's. I think I don't remember that in the original screenplay. Yeah, that was added in afterwards at some point. He says uh, fans were ticked off with that, and I agree. That would have been Alfred's last day of employment at Wayne Manor. Oh, I, I don't know if I mentioned Sam Ham's actually. Sam Ham is a super big fan of the comic books prior to writing the screenplay. Yeah, it does seem weird that Alfred's like, hey, this girl you just met is inside the Batcave, <laughs> dude. He's just, like, desperate to get Bruce Wayne laid. Well, I mean, I think he's desperate to get Bruce Wayne to stop being Batman. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, the songs written by Prince were criticized for being too out of place. Uh, they only show up in that one scene in the art gallery, right? Yeah, that uh, no, I think there's one other spot. The art gallery uh, scene's fine, but I think there's one other spot where I'm like, what the fuck is this well, doing here? For me, it's like the art gallery scene... Um, isn't that great in general? Yeah. So it being in the movie, it, it's, it's kind of like what is what's Joker's what's he doing here? Yeah. For me, it's like uh, I'd rather just not have that scene in the movie. Changing the music in that scene isn't going to affect anything. <laughs> um, yeah. While Br- Burton said he stayed in no, he had no problem with the Prince songs. He uh, was uh, less than enthusiastic with their use in the film. He basically just didn't want to use them in the movie. But he was like, whatever, Prince, write some songs. Fuck it. <laughs> we'll, we'll put them in the credits. See you later. Yeah, and then uh, Tim Burton himself regarding 1989 Batman says, I liked parts of it, but the whole movie is mainly boring to me. It's okay, but it was more of a cultural phenomenon than a great movie. He has uh, much nicer things to say about Batman Returns, though. So, well, Tim Burton, he's a complex human being, like most human beings, I guess. <laughs> Not cops, though. No complexity there. Maybe one or two of them are complex, but yeah. We have, I mean, Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> that's because a regular human wrote him though How, Harvey Bullock <laughs> Harvey Bullock uh, Roger um, Ebert was very impressed with the production design but claimed Batman is a triumph of design over story style over substance a great looking movie with a plot you can't care much about he also called the film a depressing experience 
So his uh, the first part of his criticism where it's like, yeah, design over story. It is just it's true. It is just kind of like a cool ass movie to watch. But I mean, that's most comic books, right? Mm-hmm. And then I don't I don't think there's anything depressing about Batman. It's just dark. <laughs> it's like are you you're just like man I go outside at night but it's too depressing <laughs> <laughs> it's wet out there yeah uh, I'm trying to think I guess it's a I don't know maybe it's a little depression depression I know that, to me it's not it's just like man we're having a good time <laughs> Batman's out there punching fools barely turning his neck yeah a lot of it is comedic I mean on purpose too like uh my favorite um, comedy like segment is uh, uh, Joker plays his commercial where he's uh, tampered with all the cosmetics, and then the newscaster dies, and then there, we have the spinning headline talking about panic over cosmetics, and we cut back to the newscasters, and they all look like death warmed over because they don't have makeup caked on and their hair's not done. <laughs> <laughs> That's good shit. That's some good jokes. So. Uh, I'm a big fan of this film. I did, wasn't expecting to be because I hadn't watched it since I was relatively young. Um, obviously, that first theater experience, that's not what I'm talking about. I saw it again when I was I like haven't watched it since I was three. <laughs> I fell asleep. Uh, but I, like I said, I was kind of uh, under the thrall of the Nolan trilogy at one point, and I was into the seriousness of how they were interpreting Batman. Uh, but like, I don't like my taste. My taste overall haven't changed since then exactly. It's just that. Uh, the things that I like about Batman have maybe changed or maybe just like the novelty of it being a self-series Batman movie wore off. Cause now I'm going back to the burn movies. I'm like, nah, these are better. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to watch returns again. I don't know. I, f- I still feel like I have a hard time deciding whether I like the begins or, or the dark Knight. Uh, the rises is not great. The problem with Batman What's it called? Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The problem with that one is uh, uh, why is the daytime so often? It shouldn't you know, be. It shouldn't be so much daytime in a Batman movie. <laughs> it's Gotham's very hot. It's very has a very high northerly <laughs> position, right? And it's it's just summertime. Batman's like I'm not of the night anymore. <laughs> Whenever convenient for shooting schedule. I'm of the day. I'm day man. <laughs> Wait, is that taken? <laughs> Damn it. <clears throat> Um, no, I could definitely absolutely understand why anyone would like the Nolan trilogy more than the Burton films still. It's just uh, what I like in movies and what I like about comic books, the Tim Burton ones more closely aligned with my tastes. I don't think they're actually... Uh, this is one of the cases where I can't say definitively one is better than the other. This is one of the, the very rare cases where art is subjective, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of how I feel about it. Like, there's parts about both I like, and then parts about both I don't. Like, ugh, the, uh, neither one does real action well, if I'm being honest. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, actually, the Batman Superman Batman action scenes are probably the best Batman action on film. It's <laughs> just unfortunate that everything else about the movie is terrible. <laughs> Um, but having you, the conflict will rage on probably f- until the end of days, which is better the Burton Batmans or the Nolan nah, Batmans. It's going to be like when it comes out, I'm like, oh, I like the, who's the dude that's striking the, uh, Pattinson Batmans. I don't even know that. Cause I care so little. <sighs> We're going to go with chip Daniels. <laughs> yeah. Chip Daniels are the best Batman movies ever best made. Batman. Well, the fact of the matter is, 
the actual best Batman media of all time is absolutely definitively no contest Batman the animated series. Yes, right. Mass Phantasm. Due to the success of 1989's Batman by Tim Burton, prompted by Warner Brothers animation, they created the acclaimed Batman the animated series. As a result, beginning the long-running DC animated universe that helped establish the modern-day modern superhero film genre. Series co-creator Bruce Timm stated the television show's art deco design was inspired from the film. Tim commented, our show would never have gotten made if it hadn't been for that first Batman movie. So, final nail in the coffin of what I started talking about this podcast two and a half hours ago. <laughs> Um, what you love about Batman is from this small period of Batman content, and it's basically, um, I don't know, Killing Joke, 1989 Batman, Batman animated series. Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight uh, Returns. Yeah. Year one, Long Halloween. Basically, you know, the period of like 1986 to uh, whenever Batman Returns comes out. Well, no, when the animated series ends in 96. There you go. That's it. Boom. This would be a long episode. Um, I didn't think I was that interested in comic book history or the philosophy of comic books and blah, 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 that sort of thing. I I really thought we were going to do a Batman episode where I just kind of made fun of uh, Tim Burton's Batman. But uh, Little Juno. That's not what happened this week at all. (laughs) It's probably because, like I said, it's the uh, mortalities getting to me because I know my days are numbered from coronavirus. (laughs) No one come to Arizona. Uh, but I, I think next week's episode will be a little bit more fun and breezier. Definitely going to be drinking because it's probably going to be recorded on 4th of July and it'll be my birthday episode. Because of my birthday episode, we're going to be watching a um, 90s movie rather than an 80s movie. And it is um, an Italian zombie movie. though. <laughs> but it's uh, not the type of Italian zombie movie you're thinking of quite exactly. It's a little even weirder than that. It's called The Cemetery Man. Or the original title in Italian is uh, Della Morte, Della More. <laughs> I like the Italian title better. Yeah, I believe uh, Martin Scorsese said it was his favorite film of the year in 1994. If that gives anyone any greater incentive to watch it. I but, mean, um, probably not. Martin Scorsese talks a lot of shit. <laughs> he just likes Italian shit. That's all. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's pretty fun, cool, cute, even a little horror movie. Um I don't know, it's just something that's definitely like well in my wheelhouse. It's not something I watched as a kid. I discovered it later on, like in my teen years. But I've always loved it. It's a movie I feel like watching for my birthday, so we won't do it. Nothing to it but to do it, and then you boot it. Yep. And you scoot it. Yeah, this is a good week for... Um, no, this is a terrible week for me, actually. This is another one of those weeks where I feel like I've uh, got barely anything keeping me going. <laughs> i got like nothing to hold on to. But I did come to terms with comic books. <laughs> and Which is, out, that's the important thing. And it turns out um, Tim Burton's Batman movies are cool as shit. I don't know if we'll watch Batman Returns for the podcast ever. I mean, maybe in a few years when we get around to it. But I do recommend everyone watch Batman and Batman Returns. They're fucking really good movies. Uh, Non-ironically. <laughs> no, no, no. You gotta watch them with that sneer on your face. Yeah, you can watch the Nolan trilogy or some shit if you want to too but I I mean, just watch the animated series if you want more of the sweet Batman action. Oh, I also liked, uh, what was the, Brave and the Bull was pretty fun too. Oh, that one's real cute and fun, yeah. I like Aquaman in it a lot. He's just so uh, over the top. <laughs> yeah, he just he thinks he's the shit. 
That's a good Aquaman. I guess that's it for this week. We've gone on long enough, or I've gone on long enough. Yeah, I'm I'm flagging now. Thanks for participating. <laughs> Tune in next week, maybe. Yeah, do it. Keep listening every week. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Um, you make sure you smash the rate like review and, share and do do butt stuff to it. Let people know about it. Um, I think uh, someone let DC know I want to write Batman comics. Ugh, I don't have any ideas for a Batman comic. I'm gonna like turn them into legitimate like scary horror comics. I think someone tried to do that already. I'm gonna do it better. Like that Batman like th- year three thousand or ten thousand. I just like you fucking. What if you you know a little like uh, you mix in a little. Uh, you know, like Takeshi Miiki with uh, Seven and uh, Batman villains, <laughs> you know? Nobody well, reads it, and uh, you, you, know, you get like three episode issues out of they cancel you. It's just, I mean, it'll just be the most gr- grotesque murder mystery of all time <laughs> in comic book form. People will be into it. They love that shit. You know what? You might be able to get it out as a limited series. They're, they're, they're doing some weird shit now. Yeah, someone let DC know. I will not... Um, stop talking shit about DC or their products if I get the job but um, I'm willing to write for them and they can give me money <laughs> I'm not ever gonna have like an actual uh, industry yeah. insider type job yeah. that's no. gonna be real hard for you you're uh, gonna drag me down too I hope you're not <laughs> uh, that's the thing though is there's nothing um, beautiful in the world anymore there's nothing to look forward to uh it's just we're condemned to, to a constant struggle and strife. And now, you know, it's death cult, death cult, death cult, death no, cult. VHS cult? Oh, yeah, VHS death cult. No, wait, no, no. Ours is, actually, ours is a, a, like a life cult. We're, VHS cult is about watching movies, um, having sex with your partner, and watching movies with your partner. And everything I say is right. We fucking, I don't want to debate anyone about any of this shit. Right, <laughs> here's the thing. I already know I'm right. I don't want to. I don't know what happened on the internet where everyone thinks the coolest shit ever is winning a debate online or some shit. I don't give a fuck about that shit. I already know I'm right. All I want to do is like watch a movie, have sex, and like fucking drink Bloody Mary. <sighs> VHS cult. VHS cult. VHS cult. VHS cult. Fuck the that American death cult shit.